Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. Yes, sir. I know who I am. Did IQ just drop shot? I could have been. I have planned. I like this All shit. Is, it is Dance off, bro. It is your Me and destiny. Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. Let the games begin. Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection podcast with Jason and Lee. I'm Jason. I'm Lee. And this week we are going to be traveling back in time to revisit Commando from 1985. Mm. Excited about this, Lee? Uh, more than anything. I can't possibly <laughs> iterate how excited that when I pitched this to you, Did you I actually yes? said yes. Yeah, like <laughs> it was. It's like the, it didn't have any connection to any film we've ever done, nope. uh, except except Arnold. Um, and, yeah, Terminator and, Two. That's the one we covered with him. So. That's yeah. That's the only the only connecting thread. Uh, there's yep. we don't we never did Die Hard. We've never done really anything that anybody involved has ever done before or since. Yeah. Um, and it was just on the list of random films next to all the Spielberg and the Star Wars. There was <laughs> Commando. Was like, let's out. put that in there. Let's see if Jason bites that one. Yeah. <laughs> hey, keep throwing those curveballs, man. I'm I'm willing to go. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, man, I'm looking forward to talking to this, and I'm really happy to say that we're not alone. I want you guys to give a warm welcome and say hello to Mr. Ben Collins and Luke Piotrowski, the screenwriters of Super Dark Times, a, sh- a movie that we covered uh, from our Fantasia Fest. Hello, gentlemen. Hi, this is Ben speaking. Uh, doing doing well. And hey, this is this is Luke. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take the boxes. I'm doing doing a voice check here. I'm gonna ask if we can swear, and I'm gonna make sure that we've started. <laughs> Both are, are good. Both Absolutely. are good. Yep. Okay. Oh, go ahead great. and swear as much as you want. We already we already have that E on iTunes and E everywhere else. So oh yeah, people <laughs> tuned in quite a bit to us. Uh, you know, it we're feels not weird. We try to be a family we're friendly. Like, show. We're not like an edgy show. Like we just we just don't really care, you know censor. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Fantastic. Yeah, I don't. I mean, we we you know, if you've seen Super Dark Times, you could assume that we swear a lot. Mm. Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't think anything of it. You know, it's just the way people talk. That's, that's the danger because apparently society hasn't caught up to that just yet. That it's just the way people talk. Yeah, because uh, when we yeah, were talking, we will get frowned upon. <laughs> oh well, yeah, screw them. No worries. <laughs> when, we, we, when we were talking to Max Talis, when the guy who plays Daryl in your film. Oh, yeah. uh, we asked him if he had ad libbed quite a bit, and there, there was a bit of leeway there. But I mean, was a lot of the swearing in the script already, or was it just? You know, you guys said go there, ahead with it, and it was Kevin. There okay was a, there was a lot, I'll say, but I'll say there was a lot more. Like Ben was on set, and I was off writing some other projects that we were working on, so I was not actually on the set for that. But when I was getting dailies in, I do remember we were just talking about this the other day. Yeah, we were. <laughs> I remember sort of looking at Ben, and, you know, being like, "Man, they're they're swearing a lot. Like it's fuck like every other word." And I was like, "Is this okay? Is how is this gonna play?" And I think ultimately it does work. But I do remember seeing those those initial like scenes of of them ad libbing, and it's sort of like, you know, the script suggests, yeah, these are kids that talk like that. But then when you're improvising, it, it it's a thing you can fall back on, which fortunately for us is very natural for kids at that age. Yeah. So it makes a lot of sense, and I think it does end up feeling all right. But it was a little bit of a. Oh jeez! Like, <laughs> really staccato, like a punctuation mark on every sentence. But because when you write, I mean, it's a it's a movie that we wrote like quite a while ago, and and it was always written for uh, our good friend Kevin Phillips to direct. And you know, when you you know 
we did, we weren't in the writers guild. We'd never made a movie before, you know, whatever. When we wrote that thing, it was just kind of like, well, yeah, yeah. What if we got to make this? Oh, that'd be so cool. And so you don't think about like the swearing is not something that comes up. It's like, well, you know, one day the MPAA is going to have an opinion on this or something. You know, it's like, you just don't (laughs) think about that when you're writing a movie. And so, and it was all, you know, the characters are written to be realistic to what we had, you know, grown up with and grown up Mm -hmm. around. And it's not based on actual events or anything, but like, you know, the kids, we wanted them to talk like real kids do. And so, yeah, a lot of it's in the script, but surprise when you get a bunch of young actors, uh, you know, all together and tell them to act like shitheads, like they're going to just, they're going to just do that, you know? And like you put fucking there, like, I don't know how many times it's in the script, but like, yeah, they just went for it. And I think, I can't remember, I'm going to get my facts wrong here, but like, uh, the longest cut, the assembly edit was like two and a half, two hours long, Luke, or two hours plus. I, can't I, I think, it, yeah, I think it was more. It was, and yeah, it was like when, Batman versus <laughs> Superman or something. It was really long. And when we, when we were in that cut, uh, our good friend Ed Unitas, who uh, edited the movie, uh, he told me that he did the math and that I think we were like just ahead of uh, do the right thing wow. or something like that. Like <laughs> we were in the top 50 of most fucks in a movie and and I was really stoked on that. And then when we, you know, naturally the cut comes down, so it's down to like what, like mm-hmm. an hour forty five now. And I I think we're still in the top one hundred technically. Oh, what a shame. Um, what a what a what a position to drop. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I, I really like if I'd known that was something we could have gone after, I, I would have like yeah. wanted even more. But I think Wolf of Wall Street might have the most that in that Gary Oldman movie, that one he directed. I forget what it's called, but like I think those two are like right. the highest ones or something. But Wolf of Wall Street is also like seventeen hours long, so yeah, it's that's a that's a that's a you can't beat that because no, you're never going to make true. a movie that long. You know what I mean? Yes, somewhere there's a there, uh, one of the extras on the uh, on iTunes. If you order it, I, I don't think it's on the DVD, but oh, I saw that cut. Find it online. But there is like a, a I bought that. Yeah, it was the real of all the fucks. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and that was that 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 was that that was our editor Ed just did that for fun. I think I even texted him was just like, "Hey, could we get a thing where That's it's all amazing. this stuff?" And yeah, just I like, have yeah, that sure. like, Which is it's a fun narrative of that because you sort of have like you know Daryl's dominating for a while, and then you know Daryl's not around, and like I think like the mom sort of sweeps in there at one point, and it's sort of fun to see like <laughs> when the other characters like start to like, oh, good, they, they got theirs in. Everybody gets a fuck. Yeah, it was one of the things we uh, like. We immediately praised the film for on our episode previously. Anyway, was that the characters all seemed so real? Yeah. So and I think it's not that the the cursing was exactly what made that happen, but I I can't imagine it didn't you know gel the hinges together to make everything you know function smoothly. So I mm-hmm. you know it worked in its favor. You were right about the the like the naturalistic quality of it because it's exactly what me and Jason picked up on and thought was uh, was particularly endearing about each of the characters. Made it easy for us to relate to. Them, even when they're clearly like nothing like us <laughs> it's because i mean the, I, seeing as that we're talking about swearing it's it's one of those things that i think that most of the time it's very difficult for people to switch off for me especially i teach mm. for a living and when i finished recording an episode and if i have to go in and talk to students after it's very difficult for me to get that transition going <laughs> so I'm in class at one point and i'm laughing about something and then oh, I'll, yeah. I'll let you know, an F-bomb sore in, in class. And I mean, most of the students are like, holy shit, the hell's going on now? Just <laughs> kind of... Those, those are the best <laughs> in classes, though. Oh, when the teacher the... just relaxed a little. Was it, it seemed like a human being for just a, a slight moment. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. I taught high school for nine years, so I and I typically taught a lot of seniors. So I had people, you know, seventeen, eighteen. So right. not you know more or less the same age range, but but rural Georgia, United States. So I did probably a very different type of you know. I don't know. Makeup, but did yeah, you, maybe. Did you ever swear in front of them? Though? Did I ever swear in front of them? I don't know if I did. I know one time we were reading a book, and I think I accidentally read a word it was like the word best or something and i read it as breast oh, yeah. and one kid one kid caught it and started laughing and that cracked me up and so i was, it was the end of the year and i was kind of just insane anyway so i was remembering this it was native son is this really serious book. and i just got the giggles because i just said the word breast and somebody was like oh i gotta get out of here I, I just, awesome. oh good stuff yeah what a, a risque move there, dropping the breast in front of the kids. Jesus. So, yeah, I mean, for uh, before yeah. we jump into today's subject, I guess, which is um, uh, 1985's Commando, uh, which, and we'll explain why it's Commando, I guess, as we're going along. First, we, we were going to say we wanted to kind of, for the sake of the show, while we had the two of you here, we're going to do some follow-up on Super Dark Times. Uh, just sort of generally get uh, maybe one or two uh, opinions tacked on to where our discussion ended last year on the film uh, in our Fantasia Fest special. Uh, so I have two things here, and I'll kind of pose them to you. Uh, just where our thoughts ended, and just ask is generally how close we got, I suppose? <laughs> to, to, the, to the intentions. Because uh, you guys will obviously have the biggest yeah. hand in, or maybe the only hands in really writing the story. So, I mean, I'm not going to get any closer to the source. Sure. But as a, as a preface to that, you know, having already mentioned sort of, you know, I studied British literature and I taught literature to students, you know, to some extent, <laughs> in terms of whether you got close or not and intention and all of that, you know, I definitely always rely on, hey, if it's on the page, you know, I had a professor that said, if it's on the page, you can claim it. So whatever we intentionally consciously yeah, said absolutely. if you've got to read that you know that might be better or more interesting and you know i think we're very mindful of wanting to create worlds and stories that are rich enough that allow for multiple reads certainly there's been stuff online mm -hmm. that you know it starts to become less metaphorical right. and more literal in terms of you know puzzle box and uh you know fan theory stuff that really focuses on Literal things of like, is the narrative suggesting this thing that is never shown on screen? And are these plot points that for some reason you chose not to tell us? And, you know, when it gets into that sort of, you know, last yeah, Jedi, yeah, Christopher yeah, Nolan, like, bad. you know, we're, <laughs> we've solved it thing like that. That gets iffy. But in terms of like thematic intention and what what this means and you know how we sort of connect to the characters you know I, you know we don't we don't want to feel like the only the sole authority on that and take anything away yeah but. absolutely i we definitely we've definitely uh sort of preface things that way as well obviously the show itself yeah. is predicated on the fact that we don't actually know anything ourselves <laughs> and we always make that clear so the uh I think it's just interesting in this case to not not to debunk or approve something but more sure. to just see potentially what the intention was whether it's even remotely next to what we were talking about and jen just maybe see how far off yeah. the script we our heads go would would make me laugh and that's essentially all it's about is just making me laugh so <laughs> I, yeah so i mean Wait on. 
Okay, so I'll do. I'll I'll start with Jason's theory. Jason had a theory okay. that uh, well, each of the deaths <laughs> don't really happen. <laughs> uh, that that seems like slightly out of context, I guess. But uh, generally, yeah, each each death doesn't really happen. It's it's more symbolic than literal. And basically, what happens in that case is that when a character dies, they're basically written out of the main character's lives in some form. Because the friendship dies of, of a social faux pas or something like that, or because they couldn't hack it in a world dominated with sex and hormones and yeah, something something along those lines. And we don't know. Mm-hmm. So, I guess clarification on whether or not he was close <laughs> or when he was just jumping off the page. I guess would would be helpful. <laughs> well, I I okay. Like as far as intentions concerned, I mean I. Luke, help me remember exactly, because at some point, and this isn't like, okay, I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, we're getting into the tricky territory here. At some point, I, I I did say, and I can't remember, I think it was in post maybe or something, Luke, I don't know. At some mm-hmm. point, I did bring up the idea that like you could look at some of the thematic, like if you looked at it purely like on a sort of theme level, that by the end a lot of it mm-hmm. could have kind of existed in Zach's head and that that wouldn't hurt the read either way, that if you wanted to look at it that way, and I, if I remember correctly, Luke, I, I, I maybe you know, going out on a limb here, I don't know, but like, if I remember correctly, I said that and you and Kevin were both like, uh, what? <laughs> and like, kind of like, no, we don't want to support that. Like, and I was like, no, 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 this isn't like, like there's, okay, so there's like the, the sort of weird bullshit movie yeah, ending of weird. American Psycho that chooses to be like, Maybe none of it happened, which I I read. Yeah, I read the book American Psycho when I was sixteen, which maybe gives some insight into Super Dark Times as well. I don't know, but like, I like I don't remember if the book really supports that. I think it's kind of like that's a non-issue. There's so much more going on there, and so it's like it's like I don't I don't in no way were we trying to make a movie that did that thing the way the movie American Psycho did. That was like, oh, maybe it didn't happen, but it was more of a sort of statement about if you want to look at the story in a certain way, the emotions and the themes and stuff like that were sort of strong enough that the literal events could have, because, because you're right. We don't make a lot of great pains to like the, the whole, the death of the John Whitcomb character was never on screen and was never meant to be. And that was something that we just sort of did automatically. There was not, not a lot of discussion of Mm -hmm. that. So that does sort of enable your theory to exist right because we don't see it and 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 so on that level it's kind of like the information about that works on the characters but the audience is not allowed the participation and so i I can see how you would get there and i think that it probably does hold Mm -hmm, up mm -hmm, uh, uh with that theory but i don't again like whether or not that was an intention that like the audience be able to believe that none of it literally happened. I, I you wasn't know, that part wasn't part of the conversation. Right. That. Well, some of that, some yeah. of it is, yeah, to touch upon what you're saying there, Ben, some of it is a byproduct of the, the what is a conscious decision, which is to lock off the point yes. of view and to not tell the story of Josh's character, to tell the story yeah, of right. Zach's character. Like there's, there's a lot of movies like this and a lot of them would tend to be about, this is young one man's descent into madness. And we didn't want to tell that story. We wanted to tell the story of, this is somebody who's watching a friend descend into madness and is powerless to stop it and doesn't have all the information and is sort of at a distance seeing these mm-hmm, things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so not seeing the kill, you know, if you saw him push John Wick come off the bridge, obviously then that starts to make things yeah, way yeah, more literal. Yeah, it gives the game away and a so, little. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so we wanted to be in his doubts and in his, you know, fear and paranoia and in his uncertainty and, you know, his complicated feelings towards mm-hmm, his friend. Mm-hmm. And so that, that, that in part enables, enables that read to exist. I will say for me, it is always a little bit of both uh, because I'm a big, you know, mm-hmm. genre fan and fan of genre storytelling. Um, but also, you know, a, a fan of, you know, Shakespeare, Dickens and these, these other, you know, literary things and, and studying the structure of that sort of stuff. And so I like genre because it allows the metaphor to be literal where we don't have yeah. to pick and choose. So I always come back to, I want the story to be existing literally. I want the sort of, you know, in some ways this movie and, you know, in early conversations we even talked about, I think that the idea of, Oh, should should Josh have some sort of mask that he wears, you know, floated <laughs> around? And I'm so glad we didn't do that. But it's like, is is this just like a really highfalutin slasher movie where we're sort of like telling the story of the origin of that right, type uh-huh. of character? And you know, it's 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 not that, but that gives you sort of license. And you know, what's interesting about that is that that there is a sort of literal level where you're getting all the candy of like, yeah, this is just this movie where there is a killer. It is like Silence of the Lambs set in you know freshman year of high school. And that's fun mm-hmm. and cool, but emotionally and thematically, there's something much richer going on there. So for, for me, at the end of the day, I do always want there to be, if you don't pay attention to this other stuff, if it doesn't mean anything to you, if you're not, you know, if, you know, for the groundlings, if you're just there to sort of watch a movie with a story that's very simple and clean and, lit, you know, linear, that there's stuff there, there's movement there, it's exciting, but the characters do resonate deeper. And the more you think about it, there is actually stuff to yeah. think about and you can have these deeper reads, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, that one or the other is not real. I, I want the metaphor. I want the genre to be, to be the emotion and to be the theme and not just have themes slapped on that, top of that's of I think um, what's exciting about that kind of answer as well is that I think to a lot of people, they don't know that you can have it that way, you know, like, that you can you can write a you right. can write a story and it just be centered on the on the actual concept that you come up with, which in this case was what is it like to be the best friend of a of a growing psychopath, you know, like, and 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 then to not literally to literally sit down and write all these like imagery based ideas into the script on purpose, but to let them come out over time and and, and let the the theme and and all the all the interpretation come later. I think a lot of people go into into writing or or thinking about reading films as everything is intentional or every or every single element yes. has a purpose when it could just be coincidental or beneficial if it does exist and heightens the, the format. And I think for Super Dark Times, right. what is really oh, great about uh, it is that it does have that capacity, but that from a writing standpoint, it doesn't necessarily have to have been the intention all along. I think that's a great takeaway for people. Uh, I think it's a great thing for this show to be saying as well and putting out there because um, we are very often always pushing these sort of high concept imagery related nonsense. Uh, and um, we do try to take, we do try to restrain it a little bit, but we are always trying to delve a little deeper into that sort of reading of films. Uh, but it's great to have a little grounding moment to say, Hey, it's, it's not always yeah. that way. <laughs> and, well, and that's and that's the fun of it. And and I, and I will say, like, just from an emotional perspective as a writer, you're putting things in there, and it's, you know, not everybody. God, I hope has you know, a, 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 nobody's gone through that experience of the childhood friend who becomes a serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> but everybody has grown apart from a friend, and emotionally, that's the same thing. Like, mm-hmm, it's the mm-hmm. same the same emotional journey that the character is taking. It's not 
that fun to watch a movie that's about something that's so mundane. Yeah. We want to have the heightened entertainment of there's higher stakes and it's a bigger, crazier thing. But at the end of the day, when we're writing it, we're thinking about friends that we grew apart from or our relationship with each other and our relationship to our parents and that girl we had a crush on. And we're pouring all of the genuine emotion into a situation that is the same but heightened times you know, the commando version, you know, the, the way blown <laughs> yeah. out huge version of these emotions that are very real and relatable. And that's what we're putting in there. And hopefully that's what people are responding to. And so it is entertaining, but there's truth to, you know, to that. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So, I mean, uh, the, the only other thing I have on super dark times and this one kind of crosses a line to maybe where Jason's going to jump off with regards to our, our upcoming segue into commando. Uh, is this because... about homoeroticism? No, it's not. Although, <laughs> although we will be touching on I mean, that. Yeah, that's got to be in okay, there. Okay, good. Because <laughs> that's yeah, that's that's present in both, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Great. I mean, that that answers one question that we didn't really think about. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, our kind of pseudo reason uh, that we well, technically we decided on later. We really just decided commando for commando's sake, as is the right way to decide commando. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> But we coincidentally found that uh, both films share uh, a thematic opening, uh, or a little bit of imagery in the opening, uh, which is the the presence of a deer. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and, and also yeah. the, the crossing of a bridge, Lee. Oh yeah. <laughs> so those are the two points that stuck with me: is that oh, look at that. Wonder if Ben and Luke were really inspired by Commando and putting a deer in the beginning of their film. <laughs> I do. Oh, I I'm, 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 I have Commandos playing with the sound off on my television. Right oh, the, well, there, there is a brilliant. It's, it's in the sort of unintentionally intense uh, montage of like father daughter bonding at the beginning of the movie. There is, oh, yeah. there is a shot of them just feeding. feeding a deer. <laughs> I guess a wild yeah, yeah. deer. Yeah, no, it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. looks so awkward <laughs> trying to yeah, feed yeah, that okay, thing. I just went back. I've got it playing now. Yeah, I want yeah. a, I want a T-shirt of just that <laughs> image of like Arnold. <laughs> Or like, who's the guy? Who's the guy on Twitter that does like all the Bane coloring book stuff? Brandon. Oh, oh, uh, Bird uh, is that his name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I want, I want him to do like a you know a painting of that <laughs> of just the you know Arnold with the little Alyssa probably, Milano hand we feeding. We could probably like commission that if we had yeah. enough money. We could probably convince yeah. him. I don't know. We though. might need that. To. Would be amazing. <laughs> uh, so we, I, I fought to try and tie that in. We we also did have the the unanswered question about the the deer in Super Dark Times that we basically at the end of our episode more or less just remembered as we were already mid closing out. We we're like, oh yeah, what the fuck <laughs> with the deer? You know, like, and we we hadn't actually sat down and thought about it in any way. And I kind of I kind of started rolling off things because our our whole conversation had went on this idea about like uh, that the film decries like the influences that young men go through again whether that's intentional or not is neither really here nor there but that's what we saw in it and um, kids are just going to be expected to, to grow up a little twisted because look at the adults around them they don't really have much of an influence mm-hmm. or good influences in their lives mm-hmm. and there's and mostly mm-hmm. if not all the adult influences in the film. There's something kind of fucked up about them. As in, there's very few adult men in the movie. Yeah, well, that's true, exactly. And 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 the ones that are there, like I had pointed out, is that they're they're really not people that you want to look up to. You know, you guys have been Bill Clinton on screen, and you have that teacher at the beginning that's, you know, somewhat 
ah, I could seedy. say overstepping. <laughs> yeah, he's a bit seedy when he's talking to Allison. And I was like, yeah, not, you're not supposed to talk to a student that way, dude. You know, yeah. Take a step back. <laughs> and that, that asshole that's taking the role in that one scene, that, that guy. <laughs> Yeah, just the, the voice that you hear. What a what a joke. Oh, that horrible voice, yeah. Because <laughs> I saw Ben the, in the deleted scenes. Yeah, 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 he plays the teacher. You see him that, walking uh, down the hallway depressed. It was funny. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a shame. It's a shame that my, my cameo didn't make it into the cut in a fuller way. And it's also more of a shame that Luke wasn't there just to play that part instead. Because it <laughs> no, was I, like <laughs> It's ridiculous that they dressed me up to look like a high school teacher <laughs> when we had an the actual. End of the scene, I think. I think the good stuff, uh, as the as the name is crossed out on the roll or the the X is filled in, the good stuff. End of scene is is pretty strong and one of my favorite parts of the movie. Well, I mean, I guess we just wanted to sort of get a little closure on on the st- on the dead stag that opens the on film. The yeah, I, I, or was it even a stag? I'm pretty sure it was a stag. Well, our 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 minds went yeah. because it was where the conversation went. We uh we we just filled in a, a couple of blanks and just said, "Hey, stag is a sort of a beautiful creature. It's a it's a virulent male type imagery, you know. And if mm-hmm. and this is about like the corruption of young men and and how they kind of break away, a stag yeah. is a beautiful way of kind of putting that like the murdering of that in a schoolroom. Is that when kids go pass through school, uh, the idea of a stag, this sort of idealized male image, would get crushed through our system? Then that's exactly sort of prefacing what's about to happen to the to mm-hmm. the boys in the film. Is basically the, along the lines of where we ended up on the episode. Uh, and so, I don't know what what's the thoughts uh, as far as you can can you well, confirm, deny, detract? <laughs> well, I'll, sure. I'll, I'll 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 lead off, and Luke, your with your analytical abilities, you you probably got better things to say. But I'll I'll give you like the sort of from the ground level perspective. I mean, the original yeah. script opened on uh, the scrambled porn. And then that was the original thing was these two guys watching scrambled mm-hmm. porn. And, and, and really early on, I was like, I was like, man, if, if we get to make this movie, if, if, if scrambled porn gets to be projected on a big screen, that's enough for me. Like, like, <laughs> I was like, that's the movie. Because, like once, cause like once we thought about, I mean, the whole, the, cause the whole period, I'm going to get way behind on myself here, but like the whole period setting kind of just came about because it, made it easier to write like we knew we wanted to do this story about young people and at some point it was like well let's just set it around the time that we were around this Mm -hmm. age because that just gives us more ammunition and so once you do that it opens up you're like well what are the textural details of that i I do want to ask though like is this a quintessentially american thing or is this is this does this translate internationally to you guys like because we would have cable channels that where the porn channel would sort of come in but it would be not static but that sort of rainbow colored video yeah, art I, like I, warbly thing i, I connected Did you guys have memories of that? <laughs> i knew exactly what <laughs> okay. I, was, I was sitting next to one of my friends doing the exact same there's a tit wow it was the, it was the yeah, american I, pie moment <laughs> Oh yeah, sure. I mean hours, hours. Oh yeah, of that. but wait, Lee, did they have it there? They no, I, I was. I I think the thing is that I was a bit too young. He's going through that right yeah. now. He's a lot younger than we are. <laughs> yeah, that's what. That's what <laughs> oh, I mean. Like, yeah. I, like okay. when the film started, set in the very early '90s, and that's when I was born. So I didn't really get to see it as that would happen. So you're used to like like a, just a very slow reveal of like the top of woman's yeah, head. Yeah, that's and more that's more my scramble porn generation. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then, oh. the top. 
There's the top of an areola. Yeah, that's, and like, that's yeah, exactly yeah, it. Yeah, that's yeah. the jump off point from, from my from my age okay. group. Although, to be fair. We, we had to work for our porn back then. We had lots of imagination <laughs> but, invested in these it things. Was a, it was a beautiful thing. It was an incredible, weird moment in technology. I, I mean, got. That's still that's still dissolved. translated to me, I guess, and it's not from my personal experience, but through vicariously through others that I grew up with, that um, they got to a certain age, gotcha. uh, not with scramble porn is exactly, but the actual communal nature of that masturbation, that sort of everybody sits around, like these kids sit around and basically just sort of appreciate porn or just jerk it off together. I was never involved in any of this, but I know a couple of guys who were, and and, and you know, it's like to me that was always like, oh, I get it, I get it. I mean, not for me, but I get it, <laughs> and and that's why I thought people would catch well, on with that. That's an interesting segue. Uh, the notion of like not me, but somebody else that I knew, <laughs> it goes back to the deer thing because they say a lot of the deer was was Kevin like that right. wasn't in the script and I'll let Ben sort of pick back up in a second but it was this is definitely Kevin Phillips had the idea for the deer and I believe this was a story that either happened to him or happened that he had heard what? about happening at the school of a deer sort of breaking in and ransacking yeah. the school yeah right? so so yeah so yeah so to get myself back on track so so the initial opening was the scramble porn and then as we worked that uh the yearbook game was added in and it was sort of a one <laughs> or the other me. yeah and then at some point we said we said fuck it both like they're you know they're 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 horny they're like you know they're gonna do both they're gonna look at that stuff and they're gonna talk about whatever and so that so that became the opening and then at a certain point Kevin pitched us this idea of the deer and, and yeah, Luke's right. It was, I don't know that Kevin even knows at this point. Cause I think initially he said this happened at his school. And I think I questioned it at some point. It's like, so wait, what was the reality of it? Cause his memory was that a cop discharged a firearm into it. Like what? that he shut that a cop. Like, and I, and at some point I had to stuck cause like, that was like, we were going to do that. And, and I was like, wait a second, Kevin. I was like, you're telling me a cop fired a gun in a high school to kill an animal. And he was like, Oh yeah, maybe that didn't happen. And I was like, <laughs> but but was maybe like, it did. I mean, it would you it know in a pre-Columbine world. It, it's totally possible. Know, yeah. I just personally have a hard time believing it. So Luke and I went to high school together uh, in uh, outside of Atlanta, Georgia, mm-hmm. and Kevin went to high school in uh, State College, Pennsylvania. And so like it's you know they're both Appalachian. It's culturally different, but also more similar than not. I, I just I, I don't believe that a cop shot a gun, but it, upon you know questioning that, and then it's sort of like I, again, I don't want to speak for Kevin, and maybe he's going to hear this later and be like, "What the fuck, dude? Like that's not you know, whatever." <laughs> but like, but but it, I, like I'm pretty sure he kind of has like this just a sort of foggy half memory of this event and whether or not it happened, how exactly it happened, and did it happen to him? Did he see it? Did he did he hear about it? Did he come in and see the aftermath? But that was sort of again like that goes along with kind of the whole thing because it is putting it in there and our agreement to do that because I thought it was interesting was a sort of choice to allow for a certain kind of, um, uh, let's sorry, my phone just rang. Uh, so it's it was, Kevin, he knows. It was actually, it was actually Ed. Uh, yeah, Ed there, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so that like putting it in there, it was sort of like, well, like this has, like none of us could quite explain it to each other why it should be there, but it all it seemed very potent, and I think that the the you know it would allow for these kind of thematic mm-hmm. overlays or sort of suggestions of things. But the biggest thing I think specifically was that it was a mundane situation that was interrupted by a sudden burst of sort of violent mm-hmm. energy, and that that became something of a foreboding possibility 
you know, that sort of suggested something, a disruption of the thing. It's like, you know, like when like, uh, like the lights flicker in a David Lynch mm-hmm. movie, you're sort of like, you know, that happens a lot, like a light bulb will sort of flicker in and out and you're like, oh shit, some stuff's about to go down. Like that kind of like sort of disruption of a normal situation that that forebodes something bigger i guess is is, is i think the closest thing to like yeah intention. what i would think the explanation yeah, absolutely. Would be. yeah, yeah i, I like that and that and that is that is what was fun about it was that that it was kevin's idea that was presented to us and it was our sort of opportunity to sort of play with something that we didn't fully understand and sort of be a little bit like the audience of like okay well what does this mean to us he wants this in there i don't know exactly why he <laughs> wants this in there but i'm gonna put it in there so I have to make it work for me, you know, and what does that mean for me? I remember being very conscious of sort of the, the reveal of the deer of like wanting it to be this sort of almost a microcosm of Mm -hmm. the movie, like the, like, like telling the whole story of the movie in this little mini thing of like, well, here's a school, but the window's broken and there's blood. Where's this, where's this blood come from? And it's leading down the hallway. Well, where's it going? And then it leads us to this tableau of like, oh, here's, an innocent thing that has been a victim of violence of something that it doesn't understand and it's lying here and it's you know it's going to be put out of its misery like so this sort of you know taking you through of like this seems mundane but there's one little trail here of something dark and it leads you to something that's like this sort of big and really jarring image and that sort of feels very much like the journey of the movie mm. and the journey of the characters being lost in this thing and sort of making it play out like this little mystery of like as the camera moves to the school, you're learning a little bit more about what the fuck, what happened here. And then you get your answer at the end. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I have, I have one anecdote that I, that I, it's like a name droppy bragging thing, but it's only, <laughs> it only exists to, to tell on these kind of things. And uh, it's, it's that going back to the firing a gun thing, which was Kevin's initial thing at some point, you know, obviously that made no sense. And I was like, well, what would they do to, to kill the thing? And I was like, Oh, you know, maybe they'd hit it with a baton, you know, like, do they, how would you do that? And I think we had it as like one of them hit it with a baton on the head and like killed it or whatever, like a night, you know, nightstick thing, whatever they carry. Mm-hmm. And that was in the script and the suggestion of stomping its neck, uh, actually goes to. Uh, comes from uh, director Jeremy Solnier. Is that how you say yeah. his name? I don't actually know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, because, because our producer, Richard Pete, also produced Blue Ruin and is good friends with Jeremy. And nice. uh, Jeremy hadn't, I think we were, yeah, it was like they just had a conversation or telling him about it or something like that. I've actually never met Jeremy, but like they, Rich was telling him about it and brought up that scene and said something about that. And I believe if I heard the story correctly, that Jeremy was like, Oh no, I don't think they do that. I think they just stomp its neck. Awesome. And wow. so like <laughs> Kevin, Kevin called us and was like, Jeremy says that, that they would just stomp the deer's neck. I was like, so what, like one of them holds it and the other one stomps. And he's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and it was like, well, I mean, you know, if anybody knows movie violence, I'm going to say that guy does. So yeah, absolutely. Do it. And, yeah, especially in yeah, kind of so a low brow gritty way. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Holy shit. And it's very, very, well, we've been talking a lot of Spielberg and this all kind of wraps in really neatly because yeah, he does exactly that kind that. of thing. He, he, he does a little intro that just like Jurassic Park. They have that dinosaur that breaks out at the very start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's yeah. just like, oh, for the next 20 minutes or so, you're going to be just hanging around with a bunch of archaeologists and a businessman. And you're not going to see a lot. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of talking. <laughs> and, but remember, remember, secretly, deep down inside, this is a dinosaur film. And there will be yeah. dinosaurs. The promise of dinosaurs mm-hmm. lingers evermore. <laughs> So, yeah, it works yes. on that level. Um, great. Uh, I mean, that's as far as our, our Super Dark Times follow-up section has to go. So, Jason, you want to segue us 
Cool. I really like all those explanations. And the one thing that we talked about is just to, to bridge the gap with what you were saying, Lee, earlier, you know, this idea of like having masculine figures um, that are a little bit distorted in a way in super dark times and also with the stag at the beginning, you know, that loss of innocence and whatnot. We're talking about some sort of, you know, subversive type of imagery when you're trying to get through it. We thought that, you know, with the links that we had made with Commando, which were a little bit more jokingly, mm-hmm. but... If we look and we transfer into Commando, Lee and I were talking a little bit yesterday about this and the idea of machismo, the idea of having these male figures uh, that, that you know, young boys would look up to. And seeing as that Commando was somewhat part of my youth, your youth, uh, it's uh, apparently Lee was telling me this week that it's part of his household is considered like a an all-time great fantasy movie and whatnot. Without and a doubt. <laughs> the idea that these young men in your movie are growing up with no real male figures to look up to, you know, like I said, I pointed out with Bill Clinton, the guy who basically lied through his teeth and that teacher that's using a position of power to kind of maybe prey on a young girl. I was thinking that maybe bridging that with Commando and we're looking at the male fantasy hero and the idea that it's a subversion now and becoming mm-hmm. more of a cartoon mm-hmm. character. Mm-hmm. You know, and after the whole, you know, um, you know, gay rights movement, feminism and whatnot, coming with guys like Sylvester Stallone, Jean-Claude Van Damme, and even Arnold Schwarzenegger in the 80s seemed like a prime moment to bring out the fantasy male figure based on somewhat old James Bond. But having this guy, Arnold Schwarzenegger, in a somewhat action-y, comedy-type movie where, you know, it seems like the machismo of all it is being called out in a way. So I kind of wanted to go in that direction and get like, first of all, if you like the movie or not, and then kind of deal with that question in general. Would that be all right for you guys? Sure. Yeah. They hunted him down. You know, Colonel, we went to a lot of trouble to find you. They murdered his friends. And they took the only thing he would kill for. If he wants your kid back, then you gotta cooperate. Right? Wrong. Now, somewhere, somehow, someone's gonna pay. Hey, Sheila. Do you think that he's going to give us any problems? You'll do exactly as he's told. Last and wait, you fellas. You're a funny guy, Sally. That's why I'm going to kill you last. Are you going to tell me what's going on or what? No. Don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. What are you doing? Helping you get her back. Remember, Sally, when I promised to kill you last? That's what made you think you did. I lied. If it's a mission no man can survive, he's the man for the job. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Commando. Let's party. First impressions on the film. Is this a movie that you guys have seen multiple times, such as me? Like Lee and I have seen this movie many, many times. Countless times. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I don't know. Is this a movie that you guys grew up with too? Fuck yes. 
Yeah, well, you, <laughs> I, I think I think Luke, I think you saw it more than me. I have a very distinct memory of watching it on. I didn't have cable growing up. I had, you know, just like, a, you know, the antenna on the TV and, you know, fuzzy, mm-hmm. you know, seven fuzzy channels or whatever. And I remember, I think like my parents were out doing something, you know, not, uh, I mean, like in Super Dark Times, I was left alone a lot as a kid, which was normal at the time. I, I have good parents, but they, they <laughs> it was normal to leave a nine-year-old home alone for it's, an evening. It's weird how you have to clarify that. Cause yeah, because I don't want people to like, get the wrong idea. I, I, it was not like a, you know. Yeah, you based the parents on, on your own, <laughs> like, oh, they're send, terrible people. <laughs> send Ben all your hugs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was all good. And in fact, it made for really cool experiences like this one where I just turned the TV on and, it was channel 46, which was WGNX, I think, at the time. I had to believe it was like a, like a it was from Chicago, the, 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 you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. But like they were, it was a weird channel that would just show weird stuff and they had like local commercials on it and stuff. And I turned on Commando, I remember at the very beginning, and I, I can't remember if I'd looked it up in like the, the, the newspaper TV guide thing or if I just found it randomly and then ascertained that that's what it was. But I remember watching pretty much the entire movie. Uh, on you know a probably like a twelve inch you know shitty TV and yeah, CRT and, yeah loved it and just like you know was was like re- it was really memorable and I I may have only seen it that one time and then just maybe pieces since then but I you know I bought the Blu-ray when you guys brought this up and I watched it uh, two nights ago and I, I have it on right now I'm I'm watching Arnold climb, get out of the airplane which is a really great basically <laughs> reality by the way um but, but like you know certain images and certain moments from it really really stuck out to me and it definitely was something that i remembered it as being this just non-stop thing and i was pretty pleased uh when i watched it the other day to be like yeah that's it's just literally a non-stop yeah you know, absolutely uh, that's what i was, what I was gonna say so it holds up to you Oh, hell yeah. Oh, definitely. So I don't know, Luke, you, you, you probably watched it a lot more than me. I'll let you go into your personal experience. I, 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 I did. I definitely watched it multiple times. And, you know, like it wasn't like the VHS was worn out, but uh, it was definitely one that I watched a lot because I, I was a big Terminator guy. I, I remember seeing yeah. the first Terminator and being really affected by that. And, uh, you know, my favorite movie going experience into the theater has been in 91 seeing uh, Terminator 2 on a vacation and so those were huge for me and the melancholy of those movies and the way those movies handle genre and emotion, just even going back to the stuff I was talking about earlier, like that's, I think, where it all really started and where it all really comes from. Um, and it's interesting, not to go off on a tangent, but so much of my sort of notion of action movies and, and masculinity and adulthood and romance hmm. sort of goes back to just the first Terminator of sort of witnessing a love story that was wrapped up in killer robots, which is like, <laughs> you know, I don't even know how old I was, but it's like, well, I come for the killer robots. And then I stay for this like melancholy, like uh, piano yeah, music, love scene, Linda Hamilton <laughs> hotel room scene. And like, you know, I came through time for you and you looked so sad in that picture and like stuff I didn't quite understand, but just made me feel so much and just haunted me. Um, so that it just had a huge impact. And obviously Arnold is a part of that. That's an appealing, you know, presence for a kid. And so I became a big Arnold fan and there were, you know, all these other ones. And I remember as a kid trying and failing to like really get into raw deal Obviously, stuff like Twins and Kindergarten Cop were like super appealing. <laughs> um, but Commando was one of the ones of like the old Arnold movies that you could get and rent. And it sort of 
had all the right stuff, you yeah. know, like it was nonstop and it was over the top and it is him looking iconic and saying, you know, a lot of the lines from the Terminator movies. Like I even started yeah, I'll be back. Yeah, yeah. and making a list. Well, he says, I'll be back, but he also says <laughs> wrong and then shoots somebody uh, in the face, which is what he does to I even pick up on that one. I know that one better for commander than yeah, Terminator. Like loading, loading the guns. Yeah. He's loading the guns in the shop and like Dick Miller's like, Hey, you can't do that here. And he's like, wrong. And then shoots him. <laughs> And then uh, "fuck you, asshole" is the is the big one when he's like the Terminator's like ripping out his eyeball in the you know or, or he's rotting away in that shitty hotel and the guy's like banging on the door and the the, the list of options of what to say in response comes up on the Terminator's like HUD and he chooses "fuck you, asshole" and then he says that prominently in Commando, which and I was going over some pages from his autobiography and he specifically mentions that line fuck you asshole and Terminator getting a big laugh and being like important right. for him and realizing that he wanted more comedy in his movies oh. and that like as a release you'd have these sort of he was calling them one-liners and to me well that's not really a one-liner Arnold but it is <laughs> it is getting a laugh and releasing the tension so I'm pretty sure that's not a mistake that that one's in there and then the real interesting one is he gets a prominent like trust me which is a Terminator 2 yeah. you know one yeah. shot line and this predates that so that was yeah. probably more coincidental but i was just like writing down like oh there's here's all these arnold phrases <laughs> that are in there but it's probably it's probably just due to his like i, I mean i'm not insulting his intelligence <laughs> or anything but certainly at the time i mean it, it's like he you, there's only so many things arnold can say yeah, you know you're not going to give him a monologue <laughs> or anything so it's like yeah, it's like he's got like I'd like to imagine that at the time there was like a studio approved list of Arnold lines. <laughs> like he came as a writer with his movie. It's like okay, he'll say "fuck you, asshole." He'll say "I'll be back." He'll do whatever. It's like, and that's how it works because it's not you know. I mean, this movie he doesn't say a lot. It is kind yeah, of just yeah. like that's his that's his whole dialogue is that type of shit. He lets his incredible muscles do the talking for him, which are also yeah. terrifying oh. on screen, like actually <laughs> horrifying to watch. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, maybe that's some of the best. Of, I think you know, just his physicality on display. This is maybe one of the one well, he, of the he most does impressive. So many picking up of things and like he flips the car over, he picks up the, tel- <laughs> the phone. Yeah. It's like it's just like, and it's like I don't know how realistic any of that is. I've never tried to flip a car mm-hmm. over. I don't know how much a phone booth actually weighs <laughs> with a man <laughs> inside of it, with with an adult man inside yeah, the phone. Yeah, booth. yeah. Well, I think he's a little dude, but still, I mean, it's like. I like. I was watching it, going like, "It does he have normal strength or superhuman well, no, he, strength?" He re- think about this. I wrote it down a couple of these. Think about the strength <laughs> required to rip a seat out for of a no car. Reason. Holy shit! For no reason. <laughs> down, and he just yeah. takes I, it out I, like a, like an unbuncled baby <laughs> seat. You know, watching it right now. He just does it. Yeah. And it's like, I don't even really know why he does. I guess because he's a big dude and he doesn't want to fit in the little bucket seat. But it's also yeah, I like, think I, I think he's trying to stay yeah, low. So that, 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 yeah. that doesn't work at all. He's sticking out as high as... as um... <laughs> yeah, no, he's yeah. still fucking seven foot tall. So in my mind, it's literally just another display of his ridiculous <laughs> strength in this movie. Which I'm, Again, I'm not sure we're meant to think is believable or not i don't i don't know what the audience is like you know what i mean like is he just the strongest man or is he like a superhero kind of I'm, I'm not really I mean, clear it's never that, really yeah, like he does mow down a hundred people without fucking batting an eye it's 81 kills sir oh my god you have the number i, <laughs> I always number thought it was near 80 <laughs> 81 but kills. i didn't know it was 81 In the director's cut like 
Yeah, do we know if there's a difference in body count between no the director's cut? I, to and be honest, theatrical? I don't. I think I've only ever seen the director's cut because I, I watched it this time around, and then I was like, okay. I don't see any difference in in yeah, the, what I, I watched the director's cut this time. I was more familiar with the theatrical cut, I think, uh, because this one adds a bunch of just uh-huh. like little bits of exposition that I don't remember. Okay. Like uh, Cindy just explains her oh, life okay. to him in the car chase. And you're like, oh, okay. I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> particularly remember knowing her name, actually. <laughs> I, she's just, to me, she's just there for exposition. Like, I don't, like, there's so much stuff where, like, it's, she's yeah, just a plot. Yeah, function, well, it's, it's really. to give Arnold somebody kind to talk to. <laughs> yeah, like, otherwise, you'd be yeah, like a crazy person. To to. She's a sidekick. I will. I will call out though, and I don't want to get us off track. And they sort of you oh, know, we're, we're, track. Question, we're, then... we're off track for the rest of the show. <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. But I did. I did want to like that. That both she and Alyssa Milano had you know these moments of agency, and like you know I know this is like you know just a, a drop in the bucket and like such a small thing. But like when she, I think the the scene where she rescues him with the rocket launcher is truly great, and mm-hmm. the fact that she holds it backwards is like really yeah, yeah. funny. And she does rescue him, and she does. She is crucial in, uh, in the investigation. Like when they find, he finds like the the documentation. She's like, "Oh, I know what this is. Like this is the fueling thing, and like that leads them to find the the plane." And then, and then she's a pilot, and she helps get him there. Mm-hmm. And then you know, Alyssa Milano rescues herself. Like if. Mm-hmm. He didn't make it in time. Like she should have been dead. The only Absolutely. reason she's alive is because she was clever enough to, you know, get the door handle or whatever and get to the boards and run and hide and escape. Like it's it's on them to not just be damsels. They are actually pushing the plot forward and providing assistance as like, you know, sidekicks and if not equals mm-hmm. to his ridiculous strength, at least characters <laughs> with real, you know, agency of their own. So would you plot. say that they're uh, the smarts that Arnold doesn't have in the film? Would you would you go that no far? <laughs> he doesn't feel. Hmm, he doesn't no, feel mean stupid. That. Aside mean from the way. one time, I meant it more in the question that yeah. he's more of uh, just I'm going to plow my way through this. You know, the only time that he actually uses sure. you know a little bit of, of detective skills is when he's actually following Sully. But then after that, he's just he needs the rest mm-hmm. of the people to piece it up together for him in a way, especially mm-hmm. Cindy, like you just pointed out. And so I was figuring, oh, maybe if they're the ones that are actually drawing the map to where he's supposed to be, he's actually okay with it. But then after that, they need him to just destroy everything so then they can leave altogether. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. That, that makes sense. Yeah. No, he comes funny- across as like he's thoughtful. But I just want to highlight the, the one shot when she's talking to the, uh, the police officer at the mall. And she's like, this guy's following me. And like, he's, he's standing behind that pillar and just like real smooth, like, boom, just ducks back behind it. Like, like the least, like, swat, like the most, like, clearly suspicious, like, thing of just like, oh, don't look. Like, I don't know. I, that, I, that, that tickled me to no end. Like Arnold trying to be stealthy. And, like, I love, they, they set pillar. him up. Sorry. They set him up to, like, he, he jumps out on Kirby when he first arrives. Like, he sneaks up from the bushes behind him, even though he was clearly inside oh, in the yeah. previous scene. And, mm-hmm. You know, so we're, we're given this expectation that he is potentially the most lethally stealthy man alive. <laughs> and then to see later that, 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 that in the film that he, in, in mall security, you can't outsmart a mall security cop <laughs> because he immediately yeah, like, yeah. Oh, uh, I guess I should get behind this pillar. Then I've been betrayed. 
So much oh, mall security too. They, they really, yeah. Like Fort Knox. They don't have mall security anymore. It's like it's it's funny because that that mall. We've been to that mall. We really? Like, what? Really? Yeah, that's the that's the Sherman Oaks Galleria. It doesn't look like that anymore. There's like almost no stores in it. But yeah, mm-hmm. we we saw a movie there. Not that mall. No, I want to talk about that mall because this that that movies that have filmed in that mall. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Valley Girl gets exterior shots. You got Night of the Comet. It's the mall Is from it? Night of the Damn. Comet. Yep. Back to the Future Jeez. 2. Yeah. Terminator 2. Inner Space. And then it's the mall from <laughs> Chopping Mall. Like, That's, that was the one I just wanted to bring up because like, I, I, I've seen Tro- Chopping Mall and I was like, God, this place is like the quintessential mall and it looks just like Chopping Mall. They couldn't possibly yeah, be the same place though. Like, But they do have that that uh, that elevator. Yeah, that's, that's still um, there. Mm-hmm. Fuck. So yeah, it actually is that mall. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's it's. it's <laughs> I think it's because I and I remember the mall really distinctly from when I saw it as a kid and those like wide shots of him fighting the security guards and stuff was like made a big impression on me. And it was I remember when I moved to L.A. nine years ago, it, like it becomes like I don't know if you guys have ever visited, but it's like when you, when you go around L.A. you sort of you're making like taking mental stock of like is this the thing from that is that the thing from that and like <laughs> oh, yeah. there's the right. there's also the glendale galleria which i'm assuming was the same like developers or something so probably the same design and stuff and so that that, that the glendale galleria is closer to me and for a while i really hmm. hoped that the mall was that one but then i found out that <laughs> no it's the sherman oaks galleria which the glendale galleria is still very much a mall the sherman oaks galleria is like luke does there's like there's like five stores in it now it's like totally different than than it's but there's an arc yeah, light movie theater at the top floor, which I, in the in the movie, in this, there's a scene where you hear somebody say like, "Oh, cinema level something something." So I guess there always was a theater huh. there. I don't really know, but that's oh. mostly what it is now. But there's a there's an office building next door to it that we uh, that houses a company we were working for. So there was a series of meetings that we would go, and you know you just get to the meeting early and we just go walk around in there. And one time we saw him, <laughs> like, and I was like, I was like, I, I think I said it to you, Luke. At the time. I was like, I think this is the mall from Commando, but it just looks so different. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it now. Like the, the you can see the Pacific Theater. Uh, sign in like a shot, and I think that that's the company that ultimately made the ArcLight Theaters, which is yeah. Anyways, nerdy LA shit, but yeah, yeah, that mall. That's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, there's something I wanted to bring up with you guys. I think that just because of uh, the director's cut, I, that I, Lee just pointed out something that's interesting to me because Luke mentioned that the restaurant where she actually goes in to get help. I think that's one of the reasons why there's a lot of exposition that was cut out and the, mm-hmm. it was reintroduced in the director's cut. We already had that information, so Cindy did too, because on their way there, when they're chasing Sully, he's explaining all of what he mm-hmm. has to do you know, to get back his daughter, these people kidnapped and all that stuff. And once they get out of there and head out to find um, oh, the guy in the hotel room where we're going to be talking about the pegging scene. Bill Duke. Bill Duke, yeah. They, there you go. Um, he re-explains all of that stuff because she asks him questions. It's like she oh, completely does, forgot. You, you get that twice, which I was kind of you know surprised uh. by. Well, that speaks to the how great the you know the, the pedal to the metal is in this movie because I didn't even really catch that. And you know, like it doesn't even when it slows down to do exposition and it does the same bit of exposition twice. It doesn't feel like the movie is slowed <laughs> oh, down at I all. I know what because we are just yeah. Like, it only dawned on me now what scene Jason was talking about because. Um, you know, I was laughing my way through that because James Horner's <laughs> soundtrack 
is in full action mode oh, while they're talking. Oh, yeah. So it's going crazy. Oh, and so you're like, oh, they're just they're just chatting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and that's why I love the the, the montage of the father daughter stuff. Because at first it's like sort of when she sneaks up on him, it it goes into this like pretty stuff. But then as they're like eating ice cream, yeah, they're tasting each other's vanilla ice cream. They both have the same flavor of ice cream, but they take the time to like, hey, try mine. Uh, but the steel drums are just like yeah. banging, you know, <laughs> ding, 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 ding. that sax is coming in and it, yeah, it's, it's uh, going hard and I love it. I think the, it's great. It's like but, the busiest uh, score yeah. you could possibly have in this movie. I, when I watched it the other night and it came up, I was like, damn, that's like really. <laughs> yeah, it's very distracting. Really yeah. Unlike other James Horner stuff, no, it, it doesn't, doesn't sound at all like his other It's other more like, stuff. it's almost like a Mark Eichmann thing or something. Yeah, it's a different yeah. Arnold's reaction shot when he gets the ice cream to the face. Did you guys get – I was like, how many times did they stab him in the face with the ice cream? Because it seems like it's a little bit too intense. It's like on his nose, on his cheek, a little bit above his eye. And I was like, the hell's going on? I mean, how, how hard did she have to hit him in the face of the ice cream for them to get well, that shot? It's also just another example of how like Arnold's like sort of fundamental problem in movies is that he just doesn't seem real. <laughs> like, like you, 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 you know, like he, he's believable doing all the violence, but he doesn't seem like a normal person no, ever. Right. No. And it's, and it's, and it's almost, it, it goes to my favorite aspect of, of him in movies is the names that people choose to give him because oh, yeah. he doesn't, you know, it's like the audience knows this guy's name is oh, Arnold shit. Schwarzenegger, which at the time, <laughs> Like, I'm, you know, there's, you know, no one knew, that's not a name you've ever said. And so audiences, I'm sure like early on in these days, it's people, though, the, the, the Barnolds, what's his name? You know, like they didn't know how to say it. And then eventually he becomes famous for having that name. But then it's like, well, you know, that's what his actual name is. What are you going to believe people would call him in a movie? And then this, we get maybe my favorite one and I'd forgotten, but John. Other than, other than End of Days. Yes. Jer- yeah. Jericho Kane is probably my favorite and probably will always be. That's him <laughs> from End of Days. I don't even know. Jericho Kane is just like, yeah, it's yeah. great. It's ridiculous. I think you know, Richard Kelly used it in, in, uh, uh, it sounds uh Tales of the same. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Which is the point. Yeah. I'm sure. But John, John Matrix. Yeah. What is, what, like, his, does that, I mean, does that name exist? Does anyone have the name Matrix? Yeah. I the surname Matrix. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, broke like, it down actually. Which yeah, is fun. actually Jason, Jason's broke this one open. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I, I'm gonna. I, like, like, it seems like he was like you know, like a like a Nazi, you know, sympathizer that escaped and changed. His- <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, like why they just like it's like code name John Matrix. I don't know. You know, I mean, if you've got does this, that's that's does a, that's more real. With what? <laughs> Within the Matrix is this? Oh. Is that what's going on? I don't. know. I didn't see a woman in a red dress anywhere. It um, it does seem like it. it it's really quite aware that it's it's one step away from being like a, a superhero film. So it's kind of like, Oh, you know, this is, this is film man with film film <laughs> in film exactly. world. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. But, and they clearly wanted sequels. Like at the end of the movie, they're clearly hinting at that. Yeah. And so I'm sure in their minds, like Schwarzenegger is John Matrix. Well, like what that. a fucking bummer. The, the worst <laughs> thing, like the greatest, the great sin of, you know, the eighties is that we never got another Cobra. Oh, I know. And we never got another commando. Yeah. Like, yeah, what the- we're so primed to do it. And that, that was, we got really into Cobra a couple years ago and we were both just like, 
like you know like at this point stallone's like brought back like most of his franchises and we were like fantasizing about like can we just get in the room with him and try and pitch like a oh, cobra sequel <laughs> you know and like in in in, in ba- it would be great if it was a it was a sequel to cobra and to drive and you found out that brian gosling from drive was cobra's son <laughs> oh my God. and then they're going to the, pick up the, commando john matrix that'd be awesome put all three <laughs> yeah you know I mean, at this point, yeah, do Cobra versus Commando. <laughs> that could that could have been a tie-in sequel at the time or now. According, you know, according so, to uh, Wikipedia, they even had Commando toys. I didn't know these existed, but they they actually oh, oh. they like they full on marketed these as a as a competitor to GI Joe at the time. They were trying to cash in. GI Joe was just around, yeah. and they were like, "Fuck, these guys are making no, a killing." Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna get Arnold's face. We and they actually it's like it's like prequel material. So they've actually expanded the lore because they give us. Uh, Matrix and his squad, and then they give us like an enemy squad that they face wow. against, <laughs> like a proper fucking GI Joe versus uh, whatever they call Cobra. Well, that that actually makes sense. Did we get a Bennett? Was there I, a Bennett? I don't figure? even know if he was. I, 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 like yeah. I remember reading this, and I With think his, they like, put him in the like villain, and that doesn't make sense. Oh man, I just found I just found yeah. them on no, eBay. They, would have, they were buddies. Yeah, right really? Now, Arnold Schwarzenegger, wow. v- vintage nineteen eighty five Commando six inch diamond. Someone selling it for. Six hundred dollars U.S. Well, Luke, uh, you know Christmas might, you know, be a good time for you. If he, uh, <laughs> uh, you guys well. have you have to see have, the image of Six hundred dollars lying around. He's actually they have him in the speedo. I have to oh my God. <laughs> yeah, you can wow. take the clothes off, man. He's got the black speedo on. That's fantastic. Oh I need God. this toy now. You know what's funny if you think about it now that you that you've mentioned that, and I didn't know that there were figures, but if you think about it, this totally could have been just a gi joe yeah absolutely. Like, probably like i'm sure at the time it's sort of like the reverse version of robocop where like robocop was like this like super fucked up r-rated movie that like kids were absolutely not meant to see but by the time you know i was born in 84 and by the time i was like seven or something maybe mm-hmm. there were you know i was playing the robocop arcade game i had robocop action yep, figures there was a RoboCop in the early 90s show. he was still and it's kind of like <laughs> if you can picture the reverse trajectory or something where it's like well who knows? Like you could believe that this was developed with the intention of it being a GI Joe movie, and then they just didn't do it, or they couldn't, or whatever. And it's just like, well, fuck it. It's just, it's that. It's just not GI Joe. It's just Commando. Yeah. And it's like the same fucking yeah. thing. And it's like, yeah, he could have been. You could have. He could have been like Duke or something. You know, just like pick a GI Joe and be like, oh, instead of John Matrix, he's Colonel Duke or Commander Duke or whatever the fuck <laughs> his name was. And like that's just name what it made more sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Honestly. Well, they did try to make a sequel. It's something that I found out, and there was a rumor online. That's not true. Debunked by the, the by the screenwriter, but that that the Commando sequel eventually turned into Die Hard, and that's that's oh, where really? Die Hard came from. Uh, but that's not true, uh, unfortunately. Um, but there was a sequel that did involve him sort of being trapped in a building um, where he had like he was trained, and Frank Darabont ended up doing like a like a pass on it. Oh wow. Um, wow. Yeah, so it's a real bummer that never got made, but it was about Matrix was like hired as some like security consultant for this building, which sounds a little bit like skyscraper <laughs> now, but yeah. he hired like like all these badasses to like, you know, guard this building and then oh surprise, the company you're working for is corrupt and they're up to something bad and so he ends up having to fight all the guys that he hired. Oh um and uh Cindy was there and Jenny was there somehow in some capacity. Wow. Uh, so that I mean, it sounds like it would have been really awesome and ridiculous. You see, that's, you need those toys to happened. sell, man. You can't make a film without toys selling, especially in the eighties. You can't make a film, so yeah, it's a yeah. shame. I'll tell you guys what I figured out with the name. Yeah, that's, that's so. Seeing as that we're on the John please. Matrix yeah, name, 
John is the all-American name. You know, John is probably the most popular in any language, any culture. Mm -hmm. And so he's going to be just that regular guy. And then Matrix, Lee and I, I'll use your definition, Lee. And you said it was the biological glue that holds a complex cell, a system of cells together. So essentially what that means is this, 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 this giant meat slab. So he's basically the man's man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's why biological you see him in nature John. at the beginning. He's like the- exactly, the biological uh-huh. John. <laughs> and so it was one of those things where I was like, oh, look at that. If he's just the man's man, this is probably like the epitome of what male fantasy is supposed to be like. We're supposed to be like this dude, being able to defend our families and whatnot, be sensitive towards our mm-hmm. daughters, and after that go outside and be able to – Kind of just get the wood from the forest and burn something down. Yeah, carry and carry yeah. the entire tree. <laughs> so, over I, I mean, that kind of that kind of segues us. Uh, I mean, we'll try and keep this as brief as possible because we're enjoying talking about Commando. But like the, the weird thing that we kind of picked up on talking about subversion and stuff like that is when we're talking about that man's man. Uh, it works out mm-hmm. really weirdly when you kind of read into the film, uh, and it's kind of predicated on one really out of out of place sounding line. You'll probably know it. Uh, it's it's when he, it's at the very start and they're talking to uh, and he's talking to Jenny <laughs> when he's reading Cream magazine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, the, and like, there's this offhand comment about Boy George, and he's like, oh, well, just, call just call him Girl George. George. <laughs> oh, that was, I just was watching it this morning before the thing, and I I I, I missed exactly what the line was, and I was like, yeah, I had to go about? back over it a couple of times because I couldn't make out a fucking word to gargle no, exactly. Arnold's mouth, yeah. and I had to put subtitles on for this actual <laughs> actual quote because not even with subtitles, it's baffling beyond compare. But I mean, uh, at the time, I was just like, wait, what the fuck did you just say? That that seems really weird. Uh, so I went back to it, and it's uh, and he says like, when I was a boy, and rock and roll came to East Germany, the yeah, communists yeah, yeah, said yeah. it was right. subversive. Maybe they were right. Maybe they were yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna take a wild guess and say that line was written the 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 when I was a boy in the subversive that sounds like a written line and also I, I will point out that I think they don't always in Schwarzenegger movies make the effort to like point out his accent like sometimes they just let it be and they're just like hey you yeah. know it's Schwarzenegger and so that's that's like one instance you know in in I don't know which other movies do it as well but where they do you know acknowledge the yeah. fact that you know, <laughs> Listen to this guy fucking talk is what he sounds like. But I'm going to say, I'm going to take a wild guess and say the possibility that the girl George line was an actual Arnold ad lib. I would totally buy that. Oh, yeah. Like, because he's, he's oh. holding a real magazine. And I, the, the possibility that they're just like doing takes or in between takes and he's just actually looking at shit in the actual magazine and just goes, what if they should call him girl George? <laughs> and like, that's like what he said. And they're just like, Oh, say that in the, you know, let's roll on that one, Arnold. That was, that's funny, you know, or something like I would buy that, that he came up with that. On his Absolutely. Well, I, I, I agree to the point where I, I, I thought that was probably where it came from, but I think the writers, it's weird, right? Cause if you kind of try to interpret the film and I mean, it's kind of, it seems like a mood point to try and, interpret commando just for the show being the sake of what the show is we decided like oh well we should we might as well give it a go um but i i agree with that idea because when i heard it i was like oh he just had a magazine like this is the most like dated possible thing he could have said like oh the magazines oh they were up in a what was in fucking the teen magazine that week boy george is he a girl george like uh uh-huh yeah yeah i mean hottest of hot 1985 that makes sense to me um (laughs) but but I still think the writers. I feel like they had they had every opportunity to take it out, you know. Uh, and I sure. feel like what they right. build on later with Bennett, it actually makes a really weird statement 
and I think, and I'll try to explain it, okay? Because we're, because okay. it's it it predicates itself on the inclusion of the line subver- uh, the inclusion of the term subversion, right? Because rock rock and roll mm-hmm. was subversive, and 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 that's true, right? Um, rock and roll. It takes me it take what was like the classical music. I don't I, I don't pretend to know what music was like in communist ran East Germany. But like <laughs> I imagine music was a little more classy, you know, a little more straightforward uh, sure. and of its time. More more, more Wagner, less. Uh, yeah, know, yeah, exactly, music. right. And rock and roll kind of came around, and as it did for most cultures, it, it streamlined things. You know, it 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 got it, it helped pop break through with messages that were easy to decipher. And it did it by just blurring the notes in between, right? Mm-hmm. Sneaking those dangerous <laughs> ideas. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it convinced convinced the communism that potentially, you know, lethal American idealism was was more appealing. <laughs> yeah. um, but I mean, like, I think it's weird because we we get this idea that this film is a par fantasy, and uh, and, and uh, right down to the guy's name, and and yet. What is it kind of about? What was the intention on on the part of of the writers with regard? Because obviously, the real intention was to write the greatest action film ever made. Yes, uh, that's that's. There's no pretense around that, and I still think we could actually fight the case that that subversion line is actually to talk about how they kind of subvert boring action tropes and like just plow through them and tell a good action film. But um, sure. Uh, but like at the same time, I think that it's interesting that it's such a roided up par fantasy, and 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 they put in this very weird villain in the form of Bennett, right? <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> very weird villain. It was, yeah, it's like who, and and I don't know if I'm just talking subtext or like plain text, but I I'm pretty sure he's being played up to be gay, right? That's interesting. I mean, the tank, that's uh, interesting. I, I I definitely was like reading up on that. I, like my wife and I were watching it, and you know, like looking. It's Vernon Wells is the is the actor. Yeah, absolutely. Like he shows up on screen, and it's like, is he wearing a crochet? <laughs> what is <laughs> yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. I showed yeah. my girlfriend who knits, and she was like, like, "The fuck's he wearing?" <laughs> and this is this is post like uh, what do you call it? The 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 village people, you know. So I mean, yep. this this imagery was yeah. already pretty. Well just, cemented. Yeah, he looks like, yeah. like a like if you caught if you if like if Ash Ketchum like caught like a Freddie Mercury <laughs> and then like leveled him up to his next thing, you'd, you'd get you'd get better, right? Yeah, he's the evolved so Pokemon of yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's just got that vibe. Like, apparently, now this is another like Nightmare on Elm Street two thing where like Jack Shoulders like what? There's gay subtext in that? Like yeah. I had no idea. He says he was just trying to be macho and just like sort of laughs it <laughs> oh, off. Oh, awesome! Like, he, he, I mean, that's how you get the best performances, yeah, right? Is played, like you, you can... yeah, for sure. Yeah, but he he was yeah. in uh, Road Warrior yeah, as well as like one of the guys. And that character became like a gay icon. So there's definitely something like that. This guy's sort of embraced, whether accidentally or not. But yeah, everything that you're saying is like obviously yeah. there, whether he's it's intentional or not. And so whether you know when you're looking at a text, there's like. Well, did they mean to put in like okay the boy George thing and then combine with this performance and this character and the machismo of the thing? It's like well, it's mm-hmm. indicative, you know, of the time. Whether it's intentional or not, it is a time capsule of this is you know the representation of masculinity at this time. This is yeah, an eyebrow right. raised by these types of people at somebody like boy George. This is, you know, this guy is the villain that's being presented this way. And whether this is just like sort of whatever weird societal trends happen and looking back, we can recognize like, okay, this is saying a lot that they maybe didn't even mean to say, but we can definitely, yeah, it's, so, it's there. I mean, like, you know, there is something. Yeah, there has to be something all. to like, I mean, they give uh, Ben at the line, like, I, I want to cut you between the legs, you know, like it's, 
even for macho, there's yeah, like, there's like between the eyes, yeah. shoot you between the legs. Yeah, there's, there, there's points beyond just macho yeah. bullshit uh, yeah. to, to the point where it's like it seems to be painting the well, character. He's like stroking that knife. Yeah, too. it's very I mean, painting. Painting. Exactly. <laughs> The notion when he's like giving him the thing of like you know put put that gun down. You don't need that gun. Like you can you can come and get me. This is what you <laughs> yeah, want. Man, right? I'm this not action, it. right? And he, <laughs> yeah, and he's like staring at him, and like he's literally almost like yeah, you know, he's well not almost he's like aroused by the idea like yeah it's absolutely. Like facial expressions are like i can't fucking wait i don't need this gun like i'm throwing <laughs> that down like yeah, I, I mean that's for the audience because the audience don't want to see a fucking gunfight anyway right we've had sure. years to years of fucking gunfights we want two guys to duke it out with some fucking knives that's the that's the the writers are very conscious of like you know well, we've seen arnold shoot a bunch of guys for the last like 20 minutes and we see that there's no consequence. Bullets have no consequence on them, so something else is going to have to shift it up a, a little. Yeah. Uh, so it's got to be a knife fight. But the way that they give it to Bennett is that they make him like get off on a knife fight, which is yeah. brilliant in itself because it makes you remember the character. But at the same time, oh, it's look like- at that! It's another point in common with Super Dark Times and the Katana. There we go. <laughs> oh yeah, no, yeah. I I realized that as Old you guys friend. were saying it, yeah. I was like, oh yeah. Yeah, the confrontation. I just want to point out that just like it's it's interesting to me, and this goes it's not really that interesting of a thing, but it is. I'm watching it. It was just like you know, because when you're a kid and you see it, you're like, oh, he's the bad guy. Got it. Cool. He's got a mustache. He looks different. But like watching it now, I was just like, who thought that this guy was the ultimate foil? To- <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have muscles in the same way. Like he's he's got you know he's he's not. A, I mean, look, I mean. He could kick yeah. my ass, I'm sure, but he doesn't. But he is, yeah. It, it is, it is a dad bod, like, and that's no shame in that. Yeah, like, no, that's I, fine. <laughs> but, but it is like, but you're, you're like my my wife pointed out, like, you don't, you don't go sleeveless in a movie with Arnold fucking Schwarzenegger. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Just, like, <laughs> that's a good especially point. Especially when they're presenting this like solid snake, liquid snake, like, oh, these are the two guys who came out of this program together. And yeah, like, yeah. these are the two, and it's, no, this is more like twins. Like, this is more like one got all the good genetics and one got like yeah, the this, leftovers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this isn't like Dolph Lundgren yeah. versus exactly. Dolph Lundgren or something like that, which, which it does, it does kind of in that way feel like a movie that's missing a prequel or something like it does seem like we were supposed to really care about this, which goes to the, the weird, the weird thing that Luke, I was yeah. texting you earlier this morning about <laughs> like, this too. they fake they Bennett's death at the beginning <laughs> for no reason. We don't know who that character is. Like you're introduced to him as yeah, the yeah. third guy that is mysteriously killed by Bill Duke and his, his boys. And like, we don't know who he is only like, to, like literally like exactly. five minutes later, he shows up on screen. There, and like, it's just the dialogue like, ah, that they use to dead. explain that it's, is also why? insane. It's like, oh, well, Kirby wouldn't have cared unless we had gotten Bennett, too, you know? <laughs> like, is well, that true? Is I mean, question, yeah. like, <laughs> maybe you guys can clarify this for me. Why did they have to kill Bennett's, I mean, uh, Matrix's men at all? Were they, did they, <laughs> did they kill the men so that, so that Kirby would go find, like, was he in hiding? And they, like, Yeah, no, that Kirby is it, isn't it? Yeah, because he is in hiding. Every, is, all they're, of, but they're, like, there already. Like, as soon as Kirby oh, yeah. leaves, they, they pop have the out list. and start shooting. That's the thing. So, That's how they find everybody else, is that Bennett has leaked the list. Well, okay, so, I want to... Yeah, I just don't understand why they faked Bennett's I, I, death. Like, who... Because the only people there were Bill Duke and Bennett. Like, the only ones who witnessed it. Why was he... I don't know. Yeah. Like, anyway. <laughs> well, here's... Here, okay, well, this, but this goes on to the biggest thing that I, that I do want to talk about that maybe will take us off track, but I, I was making notes while I watched it the other night. 
and my favorite thing that I picked up on is just, and, and, and I'm sure there are other movies that do this. I'm not saying this is like a revolutionary storytelling mm. technique or something, but it stuck out to me in that, okay, they present him with a very, very plausible, good action movie <laughs> I love plot. This, yes. Like they say, they say you, you, we have your daughter, you have to go to South America or wherever the fuck it is and, and assassinate the president using only your wits and your guile, your commando skills, like go, <laughs> go do this. And it's like, this is a and great he, movie. Yeah, this is a great movie. rejects that movie. It does not even <laughs> try to complete entirely. that mission. Yeah. The first thing he does. He's yeah, gone. gone. He just says, fuck your plot of your movie. I'm going to go do my own. He just doesn't well, that's care. It. Right, he wrong. Just <laughs> then he's off on his own. He's on yes, commando. Yeah, from a structural and writing <laughs> standpoint, I was, yeah, I love that. It's the greatest. Don't explain yeah. in a it's film, the, though, that if even if he does do it, they're going to kill her anyway just to get vengeance on him. That's his reasoning. That's yeah. true. But also, like, why didn't they just kill her right away? Which is a whole other, this isn't even related. It's just like, if they were going to kill her the whole time, why did they keep her in there? It doesn't matter. You know, like, it's, <laughs> yeah, just, it's, right. just, it's just, it's just like, he's leading the plot of this movie. He says, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go save my daughter because they're going to kill her anyways, which means that he is believing that they haven't killed yeah, her absolutely. yet, which doesn't really actually make any sense. It's just, it, which goes back to the sort of fantasy thing that he is sort of guiding us through what the fantasy movie that we want to see. And I, I, I'm actually very curious to know, because I don't know if you guys remember like when Taken came out. Like yeah, I remember seeing the, tra- the trailer for Taken and I was like, I, and I've never even seen the whole movie, by the way, but like, <laughs> but I remember seeing the trailer it, it, for Taken and being like, oh shit, this is going to make so much fucking money because dad power fantasies are maybe the only thing more powerful than like 15 year old boy power fantasies, mm-hmm. which is what like, every other movie is. least on. more, more like, liquidative. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, like, like, but like a, the dad power fantasy of like, you know, apparently I, I don't have kids and maybe one day I'll, I'll understand the, the power of these ideas. <laughs> you know, Luke, I don't know if you, I you don't. No, I, stayed I, awake at night dreaming of murdering people. Uh, to save I have that children, like, constantly. It, yeah, I mean, I think it, I, I've, seen it, I've seen it in other friends. I mean, I, I know there's a lot of people with kids, and I, it's, it's, I understand it. And I remember I saw the, the thing for Taken, and I was like, oh, the dads are going to, this is a bring your daughter to, to the movies day mm-hmm. thing. And, you know, the girl I was dating at the time did actually go to see Taken with her dad. And I clearly, like, you know, he was excited about that. And, I, and I'm very curious to know if commando was the sort of taken of its time like it doesn't feel like that though because i I was going to bring that up and just we're talking about sort of the politics of the thing and like and how taken is explicitly sort of tied into the dad protective thing of like i just i I want somebody to try and say something to my wife or to my daughter i want the excuse to sort of exert my power (laughs) as a species we've sort of evolved you know to like oh we got to protect the you know the the tribe got to protect the the cubs and we don't ever really have any need to exercise that anymore. Sure. And so there are definitely people out there that are just looking for an excuse to do that because they get something. They have this built up in them genetically. It's like, I got to oh, yeah. fucking protect, protect the herd. And, and that's definitely a part of the taken thing of like, cause I'm a regular guy, but oh, I actually have these skills and I'm going to use them to get my fucking daughter back. Cause you're going to try and sell her in a sexual way. And like, you know, all that stuff. And that's, it's it, it, Jenny seems more like more like a prop. Like it is more just like this is my normal life, and the thing that I like has been taken away. But he doesn't. We see her picture and stuff, but it doesn't seem to be motivated by that in the same way. It seems like more of a general '80s machismo of just like, look at this body. Don't you want this body? Look at these close-up shots of these muscles. Look at this. Look at these pecs and the way they shudder when I fire this <laughs> artillery, and it's yeah. all greased up, and it's like beautiful and great. But it does. It seems like a power fantasy to me. That's 
sort of devoid of that. But that's I but that's I, what I'm wondering is if is if the culture evolved with like Lift if movies evolved. With <laughs> and well, yeah, no, I mean it's it, that, like the idea that that maybe at the time like that the, what the commando version was enough to satisfy that that fantasy uh-huh. and that like you know you you could you know I'm not going to make some broad political statement or anything but like you know sure the don't. idea that like <laughs> Taken was obviously the the right we we know from the success of Taken that it was the right movie at the right time yeah right? absolutely and that 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 in in and, and I was like watching Commando and I was wondering I was like so I assume this was really successful I looked it up I think it was the seventh highest grossing yeah movie. It, it made like five times its budget back something like that yeah. But it's still, I think the box office mojo quotes look very low, but that's, you know, adjusted for inflation and stuff like that. So, like, I, it, apparently very successful, not successful enough to get a sequel, which we've covered. <laughs> I think but that like, was on Arnold more than anything, to be honest. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. But I think, like, it's like, if, if it was successful, I, I'm just going to assume that part of the maybe underlying psychological appeal of the thing was at least a component in, 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 as a component was the sort of the the, the dad fantasy. I just yeah, I'm guessing. I, guess I don't know. Maybe not. I, I, I would say it's maybe the other way around. I think Commando plays more to the teenage boy fantasy um, of of right. sort of wow. When I get when I grow up, I'm going to kick ass. I'm going to be this ripped and so on and so forth. And I think Taken is the, the evolution. I mean, I guess what you see at that that breaking point in Commando. Where he, he go, he avoids what is essentially the fuck. It's like a political film, you know, that that happens to be mm-hmm. action packed. Oh, sure, yeah. And and he shoots the guy, and then does a commando film. That's like a that's like a, a diverging point where he goes, "I'm going to be for the kids, not for my dad's generation." That's true. Which in right. the '80s would have been like, "We love our political well, thrillers." Yeah, it's, it's sort of like take, taken. Taken is a movie made for people who grew up. That's on what TV, I mean. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, the yeah. commando. It, it's the response. I want to get back to, to that fantasy. And now, as an adult, can I sort of imagine as a kid it worked for me? Yeah, and exactly. Yes. Twenty yes. years yeah, later, not too late. Not too late. And fit, fit in fit in in a, in, a, in a real world because I mean Taken is still a fantasy, but it's at least based in like the kind of like gross realities of the world that that you know allow it to be more grisly and less like pure fantasy. Which is yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Fuck. Well, we got off track on that thing. I'll finish up that thought on subversion. <laughs> the, uh, so yeah, working on that assumption. If we're talking about the 80s, okay, that was obviously uh, sort of smack dab in the, just before really the AIDS crisis kicked off, maybe 85, was sort of leading up <laughs> to the to its height, and then it kind of really became the only talking point at the time. But 80s, homosexuality, I, right, I'm trying to think of this film as a power fantasy for the nut job who actually believes in power fantasies, right? Um, who's like, oh yeah, this, this, this film is actually obtainable. And they're gonna say, "What is what is the 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 foe the 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 opposite of John Matrix, right?" And I, I guess on some level, the writers or the the fashion designers or somebody decided it's it's a gay man. And but like, why? Okay, why why would they think that? Well, I I guess the the idea, if you had to extend what is a crazy train of thought, right, is that. At the time, a gay man potentially threatened the idea of masculinity, and I mean, we get that with the the boy George line, right? That's your sure. girl George, like he's he's effeminate or he's androgynous, yeah. and therefore mm-hmm. that's a threat to men, you know. But if you even look at the, uh, like blow out and, and look at the 
the structure of the film, the, the, the story, the concept is a homosexual man and his compadres steal a man's daughter, you know, and he uses his incredible muscles to bring her back. The, the idea uh-huh. is then, you know, like, oh, gay men, they're not only a threat to what it means to be a man, but it's also their threat to our progeny. You know, they, they actually threat our, our sexuality. Well, yeah, our, our, our virility. The proof yeah, of that's our exactly. virility is being, is being threatened, and now we have to go uh, reinstate our virility via death. And, you know, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, right? And that's, that's going to be how they're going to play it, right? Yeah, two gay men can't possibly have a child. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. But we're like, okay, so obviously then you look at the film and go, well, that's pretty fucking repugnant. <laughs> and, uh, right, well, yeah. But here's here's my thinking, right? And... and uh, Chime in if you if if maybe you don't maybe see it that way or maybe you're kind of going, but I think mm-hmm. the idea that it introduces the notion of subversion is to underline how this film isn't all it seems to be. It's actually the writers potentially looking at this concept and going, "Well, it's a fallacy. It's it's obviously a stupid conversation." Um, so I mean, like when you look at like, yeah, okay, so they put a gay man and he's a threat to manly man John Matrix. And that's what audiences are supposed to be thinking they're going to be walking away with, right? But think about, like, the contents of Commando and, like, how absolutely, like, cartoony it is. You know, like, uh, the, mm-hmm. the actual action mm-hmm. itself is utterly unbelievable. It is literally in a James Bondian and, and more so light where this man can literally lift cars and trees. This man can equip one-liners and and, and, and 11 hours conquer all obstacles to get his daughter and we get that final shootout where like 81 people apparently hold fire on this man (laughs) and do like one shred of shrapnel gets stuck in his knee and that's that's and he just like he never mentions it again he never shows any signs of any fatigue from that what should be a pretty hard horrible blow you know, like well, the the one hit just serves as an excuse for him to get that vest off. Yeah, vest really off, and to accidentally walk into a shed full of even more deadly <laughs> fishes weapons. Um, you know, it gives yeah, us another more. place that's filled with masculinity. By the way, the tools. Yeah, shed. Well, of course. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm thinking like, and this is just from the experience that I've had with well, anybody I know who's actually ever watched the fucking film. It's it's played like a comedy, right? It's like surreal almost. Like it's it, it, it's it's so action packed cartoony that it's it's unreal to the audience, and I think the fact that they include that subversion line is because that's what they're in my head kind of getting at, right? Is that yes, it's a power fantasy. We're selling you a power fantasy. It's an action film, and it is not only a action film but the action film. It is the most even the main character is manly man John Matrix, whose name means manly man. You know, like. But it takes a topical issue of the time, which is threats to the masculinity as a whole. But it includes a little note at the start that says, oh, yeah, you know, rock and roll. And Boy George, maybe he is subversive in a way, you know, maybe maybe Boy George, girl George is is a subversive thing because it's got me thinking. And uh, <laughs> it's got John Matrix thinking, whoa. Right. Well, and maybe they were right. And then, you know, he didn't stay in East Germany. So, like, he's exactly. here in America. It's, it's won him over. It's, it's, it's representing us. And maybe they were right doesn't doesn't have to be a bad thing. It's like, well, maybe they were right. And that's a good thing. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't say yeah, it. Yeah, he like doesn't a, lean to it in a, one way or a, another. An angry or defeated yeah. way. It's sort of like, a, oh, maybe they were right. Let me eat my well, that's sandwich. What I mean. yeah. That's exactly what I think the um, film, if we had to read it, which we don't have to, but if we had to read it, wouldn't it be a reasonable thing to say that the writers were potentially looking at that kind of outlook and that they included that line? I mean, there's almost no text in the film at all. Like, there's no 
There's no, like, there's no lines yeah. to even placate off. Uh, but it includes this one line almost I'm like when I heard it uh, the other day I was like what the fuck is this in this film like do, is there anything else to that you know and it's, it's never brought up again and it's never really played off mm-hmm. but it just feels like the one like slight cry of a writer that wants to say hey by the way you know like although I'm writing this action film to sell to you you know the, the audience out there who want to see fish's action you know I'm, I'm a I'm a ostensibly white guy That's in my like 40s. And I am pretty aware that this isn't real, you know, <laughs> and 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 that even today you might even push to Ooh. say ah, this is the subject matter of today where we think masculinity is being threatened by gay men. It's just not the case. And I think you could make a case, and I don't know if it's going to be the case, but you could make the case that the inclusion of Bennett is to subvert that notion, you know, to, to subvert the conversation and make it seem childish to be even having it, you know. I. <laughs> You're kind of you're kind of convincing me. I think because I I noted when I watched it the other day that there's mm-hmm. there's three writing credits. There's there's two story mm-hmm. credits and a screenplay credit, or three story credits and a screenplay credit. And it, and I was joking, you know, Luke and I we were joking that like how it took three people to write this. Like <laughs> like what was the story concept there that 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 deserved? Because like you know, I mean, like you know, if, if you if I go have coffee with somebody and just like shoot the shit about stuff and I talk about an idea that Luke and I are doing and they say, Oh, you know, well you should put it in, you know, set it in China or something like that person doesn't get a story credit in our movie. Yeah, like, just because they threw and it's like, so when you think about what the conversation was about what this movie was that necessitated actually crediting three writers, including so it is Jeff Loeb, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So like, Jeff Loeb like was one of the, he was yeah. the, he was the initial nugget, you know, it was his story that was taken from him. Well, but he's a big dude, yeah. you know, like Batman, yeah. the long Halloween and hush and, uh, you know, age of apocalypse. Like, so he's, he's like done some mm-hmm. pretty big things. You know, the long Halloween is a huge influence on the dark Knight. Like, so he's a smart dude. Yeah. And then D'Souza is a guy who actually gets screenplay credit, wrote things that vary in their awareness, but you know, like he wrote Die Hard. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah. Die Hard's like that's you know as smart as action movies come, whereas Commando is, you know, as dumb as they come. <laughs> um, but then also stuff like like The Running Man, which is dumb but also clearly satirical and like dumb on purpose to be making a point. Mm-hmm. Um you know, so if you look at his stuff, there's like you know wacky things like the Street Fighter movie, and uh, you know <laughs> he's the creator of Cadillacs and dinosaurs. But like, so there's like dumb stuff, but there's also he is subversive and he is doing things that are satirical and critical of society and the genres that he's working in. Like, there is no argument well, for some of that stuff. Like, yeah, so, so there is some credence to that. But well, I, well if you th- if you go look at the, and- the, the third writing credit, is a guy named Matthew Weissman. I just looked at this right mm-hmm. now. Uh, who has much less credits than the other two, but uh, did write uh, Teen Wolf. Oh, wow. Um, which I also think has some subversive uh, conceptual things that I don't know if I'm going to go well, into. Well, it could certainly be read, yeah, homosexuality yeah. sort of stuff right. in there. Oh, well, I, I mean, I also read race stuff into Teen Wolf, but that's a whole other <laughs> <Yeah>. conversation. <laughs> God. <laughs> but like, uh, but like, yeah, no oh, doubt, man. I gotta see if we can catch you again, and maybe do a team wolf team wolf. Yeah, Holy shit! Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if, we, if we do it, we have to do Team Wolf and Team Wolf Two. Though, oh, of course, because cause... Team Wolf Two is one of the best sequels, <laughs> in my opinion. Uh, it, yeah, but so anyway, so, so, so before we yeah, like, like go off of that, so, the idea that like it was a joke at first that I was like, oh yeah, it takes three guys to write Schwarzenegger kills everyone, <laughs> and yet at the same time, you're kind of making the point there that's like, and I don't know if that's like it's the possibility that 
you know, like, I don't know the full story, but supposedly Last Action Hero, you know, kind of like that's an example of a movie that started off as like complete spoof and then kind of like softened that. Like I don't, supposedly mm. the original spec version of Last Action Hero is like much more meta and like all fully self-aware and all the stuff like that. And that remained in the concept. But like the joke I heard, I think it was like Zach Penn who wrote the original script. And he said that like they wrote it as a spoof Shane Black movie and then got fired off the project. And then they hired Shane Black to rewrite it. And it's like, <laughs> oh, it's, it's like, like the idea of like the guy you were spoofing, rewriting it, like, you know, sincerely, like without knowing that it was or something. I mean, that's his perspective. I don't know. And I'm not, you know, it's in some old interview, so I don't, I'm not you know, quoting or trying mm-hmm. to say that, but like the idea that this could have started out in a similar way, and then just throwing this out there that like you have guys going like, well, Schwarzenegger's got all this cachet as this thing. What if we do like the ultimate version of that? That's almost a self-aware parody. Yeah. And that has this sort of subversive aspects. And then, you know, the nature of the way movies go through development and stuff like that is like, well, just at a certain point, that touch of sub- touch of subversion or the intent there became much more, kind of buried under just the reality of no we're just actually making the movie that we yeah that saying. makes some you know sense I mean? yeah so like yeah they started out because that. i mean like as as yeah. far as i could tell and this is just from wikipedia the only thing they have on it on the pre-production is that jeff Lowe, he um it was originally his story and it was a story about a, an israeli uh a soldier who retired and that he was being dragged back into some mission mm-hmm. right and so obviously they they spun that around a hundred times to get to where they did and it got the new writers came in to cater it towards Schwarzenegger. You know, that's what the, that's what it uh-huh. says. Um, mm-hmm. Whether or not the subversion idea was there, I think uh, from its original inception, I can't imagine it have being anything like the greatest action film of all time in their heads. You know, like they were just wanted to do a, a quite serious film, almost you would say. You know, or or, or something. Because they're because obviously they're dealing with uh, like some right. sort it's of PTSD sort of like, or something. Like you know, Rambo because. Ram- Rambo 2 came out, I believe, like the same mm-hmm. year or right around there. And it's like almost like they were, they just skipped over first yeah, blood. Yeah, I was going to say. And yeah. it's like, there, there's like sort of, there's a first blood story here. And yeah. that's probably what the mm-hmm. idea was, is like that. And then it's like, but what if we didn't do that? We just jump to Rambo 2. Like, where yeah, or like it is Death Wish and Death Wish 3 or something <laughs> like that, where it's just like, uh-huh. like yeah, like, because that was always the trajectory of those franchises was that it starts off as serious and then just becomes mm-hmm. parody. And that, yeah, that this just sort of folded itself into kind of, yeah. kind of the middleman. I mean, I will say it's an interesting question of, you know, the, the cliches come from somewhere and like not everybody could have been self-aware. And they, like, I don't know, like the cynic in me is sort of like, you know, oh, I'd love to think that it was yeah, some sort yeah. of subversion and that any sort of the villain is, is presented it's a bit as, of a stretch. <laughs> well, but it's just sort of like, well, it's just sort of like society at the time was, this is what we value in men. And if, if a man behaves this, like any, any sort if I'm putting together my villain character, I'm directing the villain character, we're costume designing the villain character. We're putting in and compiling all of these mannerisms that end up maybe unintentionally, but are evil or nefarious and we just end up with a character that is this bucket of twisted uh, machismo that sort of mm-hmm. ends up playing to us in a modern context is like oh he seems really gay and sexualized and at, at the time it was just in the, the, like to them these are oh these are villainous characteristics because they're not virtuous <laughs> yeah, right, right, okay. and so it's just you know society was just shitty and is continues to be shitty always was yeah, but yeah. was particularly shitty at that time about this issue That's and how people viewed yeah. this stuff that I just sort of like, eh, maybe we're giving society too much credit to, you know. Absolutely. But that's just this, the dark cynic in me that's sort of like, yeah, I don't know. Probably <laughs> no, I, just I, us. I, I, 
I, I, I would imagine that's the reality of it. I, you know, I, I want, I want to be like the guy who goes like, oh well, I mean, at least, at least we can salvage something because realistically, it's just because I don't want to throw Commando in the pile of fucking insipid films that happen to be awesome. You know, I want to, I want to, <laughs> sure. I want to try and, and then fight its case a little bit. But um, no, but it's interesting that Ben brought up Shane Black because I watched Lethal Weapon just the other night, and Lethal Weapon's you know fucking great, and it's got you know like lots of cool stuff and that does have subversive stuff and it you know really does seriously tackle like ptsd stuff and the and i love that we have this you know black guy who's the lead and the family man and you know he's you know written with such you know care and warmth and the family's so great so it's like shit this is like really ahead of its time in some ways and and sometimes we've in some ways we've regressed in terms of how we handle race stuff in these big movies um but then there's like a scene where Riggs is talking about uh, the the woman who died, and there's the suggestion that the two women were in bed together, and like Murtaugh's like, you know, and so then maybe she was sleeping with her, and then Riggs goes like, okay, disgusting, but okay, <laughs> just kind of throws out there that the notion of two women sleeping together is disgusting, <laughs> and I was like, whoa, okay. Then two scenes later, the like the bomb goes off at the house, and like Murtaugh goes to help Riggs up. And he turns to him and he actually says, "What are you a fag?" Oh and I was like, "Whoa!" Like you could—it's like buried in the mix a little bit. And it's like you know, it's like Bill and Ted, you know, had that moment. It's like, well, it's a different time, whatever. It's just supposed to be a joke, but it was sort of like, oh yeah, the way that that stuff was handled was very different yeah, in the eighties and whatever people thought. And I'm sure Shane Black today has you know very different opinions on you know would not write that line in that way. But it is just Why? interesting to sort of see that movie and those things jumped out at me i wonder though i mean that's it's i would i i bet we could probably find this because i think the lethal weapon script's available i wonder if that's shane black or mel gibson now that i think of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that brings up another question because it because well, if sure. the lines come straight from mel gibson and i don't know you know like if shane was on set for that or how, how i don't know if he's like a man that they actually those do feel like they are improvised lines too they yeah. would not be surprised and, and we know that when mel gibson is improvising he's very uh, florid in his uh, ability. You know. Before we leave homosexuality behind, I do think it's one last one last comment on that. It is interesting if this movie, in any way, accidentally or intentionally or whatever, if there's any sort of criticism of homosexuality or element of homoeroticism being portrayed as villainous. It is interesting to me that the movie has him in Arnold in the black shorts doing the rowboat thing and practically dares you. To, to not be gay at least for a little bit like, at least for a couple of seconds because well, there you go point, you, point in favor you know it's you know so I mean? like yeah. can't, you can't look away you know like, okay, look at this like he oh. is greased up and in the shorts and rowing the boat and it's like my god like this is a specimen like this is a special effect this is this is a thing, yeah. Well, and, yeah. And so, the idea yeah, is that however, it's like, you want to be this. You want to be something just like this. But like, yeah. well, they don't it, play it that way. They don't shoot it, it that way. It challenges your, your masculinity. It challenges the sexuality of the audience in a way that, again, maybe not intentional, but it does feel almost like a direct challenge. Does, does, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong here, guys. Does he not kill at least two of the men by penetrating them? Well, he kills Bennett by Doesn't penetrating him. Oh, of course. Yes. Uh, that was, that was... And, and he kills Bennett by penetrating him, and then something ejaculates from the tip from of the tip. thing that he thrust into him. That was the yeah. thing I meant to bring up. Uh, good yeah. point yeah. bringing that up. Is that, That's also what yeah. kind of fuels the, the homosexuality thing, is that, you know, it, it, yes, the, the great man's man can kill the gay man with his frobbing penis kind of shit, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, it's right there. That's, yeah. that's a little more 
more than just pretend subtext. You know, that's definitely in there. Uh, that's true. So that's kind of puts some fire to the whole reason why Bennett is sort of played up that way. I don't know whether the subversion yeah. thing is affected by that, but yeah. it's definitely in there. The discourse is in there somewhere. Uh, whether it goes the way that we've tried to spin it, eh, eh, who knows? Or, or whether or not Schwarzenegger <laughs> was aware of any of this is a, is, a, is always the sort of question. It's hard for me to <laughs> picture like what like because sure. I don't know much about, and I, I need to read that book probably his like autobiography. Like I don't know how self aware he was about any of any of like the sort of. He's a smart guy. Well, this I don't is this dumb, is not but, necessarily mm-hmm. uh, you know homoerotic, but it does like it does suggest sexual quote unquote deviancy. But there is that scene it, it, on the Nerdist podcast when Schwarzenegger was a guest. He talked about this pitch that he had for the director, the scene that he wanted to have of where he was hiding on the on the island somewhere and like trying to be quiet, and one of the guards goes to relieve himself. And he had this scene where he wanted to be in hiding and he couldn't move and the guy peed on him. And so Matrix would be there <laughs> yeah, this hiding, is real. literally being pissed on by one of the guards and he just had to like sit there and take it. And then, it was specifically you know, like his face, later. I think. The way I heard it was that, yeah, that they like pee <laughs> on his face. And, and like I just – a friend of mine sort of a, something of a Schwarzenegger scholar and I, I consulted with him about this and he, he told me that story. So I haven't heard – Arnold tell it on the on the podcast. He tell in his own words. Wow. Yeah, you can hear him. But the, it's like I that I mean I just it's just that sounds like he had an experience that he wanted to put on screen, and I, I have a lot of thoughts about that or something because it's the the decadence of Arnold's. Yeah, uh, you can just imagine. Escapades. Yeah, you can imagine that that weekend he got peed on, and then was just like, oh, you know, we should put that in the movie. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Like, I mean, it, it, this is Arnold at like the height of his success, really, yeah. and it's like the idea that that some version of him wanted to like put his face on a big screen that the audience had to watch it getting peed on. I don't. I that's a real. But in terms of the masculinity and the subversion, like yeah, the the degradation of like like this is this is the specimen, this is the body, this is the masculinity, and that it would have to be sort of debased by this faceless guy. And this was a scene that he wanted to have. I, I'm sure he's not thinking about all that stuff, but that is very interesting. If you're having a conversation about that, of the, the him being this sort of Adonis figure and that, that, that this was something that he wanted to have happen to that character. That he wanted that character to go through and the yeah, connotations yeah, yeah, of that. Yeah. Oh yeah. To the actual story. Yeah. That's, that's baffling. And it also, um, it, to me, it's just, it surprises <laughs> me that it's not in it for the fact that it was Arnold at his height, you know, like, and. Um, I, I don't really yeah, know. Yeah. Maybe the, it sounds like the kind of thing they actually did and then just didn't tell anybody and then just cut out immediately because they were like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, can't, I can't remember the history of the story. The guy was just like, no, and maybe there's some sort of compromise. <laughs> because he, t- he goes into detail about this this idea of his. I mean, maybe for him it's just, you know, funny. Like, oh, this is, a, this is just a funny thing. But th- there's definitely connotations there. Yeah, I'm just piecing together the history of bathing suits, uh, Commando and James Bond in my head right now that you guys were talking <laughs> about. It was back to Cindy, but at the same time, I was trying to piece together because, uh, like, James Bond, Sean Connery used to be uh, Mr. Mister Universe, I think he was for a while as well. And it just so happens that... Um, That's true? Yeah, I, he, yeah, he used to be a bodybuilder. I don't know Holy what shit. what championship he won. And it's kind of interesting that... Arnold, uh, you know, basing somewhat of his performance off Clint Eastwood, but at the same time, this seems like more of a James uh-huh, Bond type uh-huh. character in John Matrix with the swimsuit, you know, something that we would have seen from Russia with Love and also in Goldfinger a little bit later, you know, uh, the, the, even in Thunderball. <laughs> I mean, it happens all in water. And so we have this guy going undercover. Yeah, he gets that the girl. And, blue play suit. Yeah. I want to see Arnold in that Goldfinger powder blue uh, terry cloth little onesie. <laughs> <that>. <laughs> 
And so that's it. And I mean, I remember at one point during Commando, Arnold actually kind of rips her shirt open a little bit to, to like for her to relieve some yeah. sort of tension. Yeah. And I was kind of thinking beyond that, you know, because there is a line in, in, in the film when he's actually fighting Duke in the hotel room where she says, I can't put up with this macho bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I wanted to kind of go and compare that to how Sully handles Cindy a little bit at the hair, at, at the airport as well, because I, I don't know what they're trying to get at with the message there with, cause he's a sleazeball trying to get a date with the girl on the phone, which is a fucked up thing to do. Especially, I mean, this is a guy <laughs> that's going to be terrifying. Like, like, yeah, yeah, no, like in today's context, when he follows her into the parking garage, he's like, Hey, slow down. It was like, Ooh, this is actually really scary. Yeah. And he calls her a whore, but it's all, it's weird because on the phone, she seems that she can't get a date. She's trying to fix something up. And then after that, she's swept into this adventure hmm. and, I figured that, you know, did, did she need to be shown like she's obviously kind of OK at the end of the film with going on the adventure and whatnot. But at the beginning, she's not, you know, too right. into it. So <laughs> what's the difference between Sully and John in this case? Is it just the muscles? Because at the end, he's like, oh, he's doing it for a noble cause. He's not a sleazebag. He kidnapped yeah. me for a reason. Is what I'm like, OK, that's kind of right. fucked up a little bit, you know, that Cindy has that that twist of. You know, I think intense. there's a, there's a moment of realization of some guilt where after she calls the mall cops on him because uh, Sully then fires at him with a gun, you know, and it yeah. sort of confirms his story that this guy is actually like a, a CD underground right. in, dude. In some ways, like the, the the kind reading is like, well, here's Sully. And he's, you know, a sleazebag. And then here's John. He grabs her and is like, oh, is this guy even worse? And that the first chance she gets, yeah. she tells the cops. Mm-hmm. Like, she gets away. She uses her intelligence, you know, like, okay, yeah, I'm going to go do this, whatever. And then she's like, yeah, I'm telling the fucking cops. Like, are you kidding? I'm not going to do what you say. I'm not going to get this guy to come over here. And then when she sees what happens and realizes, oh, wait, he was telling the truth. He's not like that other guy. He actually is somebody who is in a jam. Now I'm sort of caught up in it, but okay, yeah, she maybe backtracks, I can't help. She backtracks there, herself like a... into the story because then she trips that that right. mall cop, and uh, and and then he then he starts to turn on her. But she does that saying no, as if like, oh wait, I've made a huge mistake. I need I I I, I guess he was telling the truth. And while she doesn't immediately join up with the intention of saying, hey, so. Back to the crazy exploits of, of John and, and Cindy. But right. I, she, she's sort of on the run because now the cops are after her. When she when she because she really comes running out and I was like, why is she stopping and why is he stopping? And it's like, oh, she's like the cops are after me now because I tried to. Yeah, help but you. that that that's playing uh, off her guilt, I guess. You know, she shoots a rocket launcher at the cops later. I remember thinking, like, man, she's really crossed the line. Like, yeah. She's just going she's from work or something at the beginning, and by the end, I mean like that's like. You take it for granted in movies when, like, oh, just someone's shooting at you or there's a problem, you just got to take care of it. It's like, but no, like, she shoots a rocket launcher at the LAPD. Like, that's fucking insane. (laughs) 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 You know, I don't know. I I guess it is just fantasy, but yeah, no, she definitely gets on board for sympathetic. Yeah, I guess uh, the weird thing in, like, the subtext is, like, where does Cindy fit into the power fantasy? You know, like, because she's not played up as a sexual interest. Right. Uh, it, it is very much about the man v man, uh, and she calls and it out. It's interesting. Calls it out. Why are you like? Yeah, that? exactly. The macho this bullshit. Macho bullshit. Yeah, why and, are you guys and, fighting? And it's kind of funny because I wanted to piece together just why the people in the other room were actually having sex. Is it because they could hear the noise from the room beside them and all the grunting of the men? together and then they decided to get it on at that moment in time or was it just them doing their business i don't know you know because you know she's yeah, actually well, screaming a little bit and so i was kind of like okay what the fuck's going on so yeah 
Well, it's a, it's a seedy motel. But you brought this up off mic. Somebody did. It, it, like, when, yeah. when they pop up, when they pop up on the bed, and I made note of this too, the position that they're in is the man is on all yeah. fours and the woman <laughs> is behind him. Is it true? In the dominant yeah, yeah. position. Yeah, watch it again. It, yeah, it is sort of like... She is positioned in, to be penetrating him from behind. Okay, I'm I'm going now. <laughs> that I did not. It's my desktop wallpaper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no. yeah, just I did not frame it. I was like, the all. fuck! I rewound it's it a couple so, I mean, of so times fat. just to see, like, you know, what the, what the? Why is the guy in that position? And it's it's like they're trying to scare someone. It's like the boo from underneath the sheets. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> oh, I yeah, so, I mean, because I obviously took it. Okay. Oh my god, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay, shit. Yeah, I mean cuz I just I obviously just took it as like, you know, it's it's an action movie, it's the 80s, like, you know, they know the teenage boys. I've been convinced. Yeah, I I'm I'm convinced there's maybe more to all of this that is intentional. Yeah, the pieces are starting to come they, together. They, they all, you know, like, yeah. just just but, like the the barest intention being, you know, no pun intended there, but like that 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 just having nudity of any kind in a movie like this is pretty, you know, is kind of a prerequisite in that like Thank God they didn't try and shoehorn in a sex scene between him and Cindy or whatever because it just doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Like in Top Gun, Um, by the way. Yeah, just like, just like, oh, just cut, you know, like, oh, they're going to take 20 minutes out of this nonstop thrill ride in order to, you know, make out. He's he's completely hetero. You know? Yeah, yeah. We believe him. We believe him. <laughs> which is always that's that's and that's that shit still happens in movies, which is hilarious when they have to convince convince the yeah. audience of that. But like, you know, in in this case, I like I, I sort of on the yeah the simplest version of why that is included is just that like, well, that's just a way to get some nudity in the movie and. You know, then it is, that's yeah, it's sort of like an Austin Powers joke of like, well, if we have the guy in this position with his ass in the air like this, but he's bending down so we can't see the front of him, she's positioned to where his ass, you know, his back is covering her full frontal nudity. So all we have to deal with is the boobs. Yeah. Like this is like sort of the the perfect <laughs> um, way to get. Yeah, you know, there's a logistical and, reason yeah. why they probably set so it we up. You can get it on TV at 9 p.m. instead it, of 7 p.m. So at least their kids are still up a little. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, I do, I do think that 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 I mean, just the reality of of making a movie. I mean, they had to direct them to be in that position, and I agree that it probably yeah. is to for the the the, the maximum maximum coverage. Effective. Yeah. yeah, I think that that you're probably right about that, Luke. But at the same time, like somebody, you know, like you, you don't put the actors there without <laughs> somebody going. Yeah, but what are they actually doing? Why are they under the covers? Why are they this? It's like, what is this? And it's like, you know, it probably was just like a series of jokes, and they're like, yeah, because we just want to see your tits. But like, also, I don't know, what do you guys think they're doing? Ha ha ha! Like, there probably was some. Joke joke on set about it whether or not this was part of a master subversive plan it's hard to say but that is, <laughs> yeah, no. it is, it is now that i see it and i'm like damn like that's yeah that's this is one of those it. things like with nightmare on elm street 2 you know it's like well maybe you know the director pleads ignorance on like well i didn't pick up on any of that but i think the screenwriter yeah, yeah. and the actor have both said like well yeah so as long as somebody on the team is driving the bus in a certain direction that that stuff can get in there and somebody's maybe trying to say something or trying to do something or making choices specifically you know, maybe not with an agenda, but with just an eye toward like, yeah, a, a purposeful, mm-hmm. a purposeful hand at work behind the scenes. Well, I mean, we we uh, we tend to focus on what people tend not to actually do on purpose. So that's this. Both both conversations are great for the show. Uh, mm. And I guess if we wanted to spin back to Cindy, I, like again with the power fantasy thing, like it's it's weird to think of where she and where well, a pegging fits in, but <laughs> <laughs> then b. 
Where Cindy is not played like a, a typical love interest. When the film is such a, a hetero trip, right. it kind of makes you wonder what they're trying to say about like the female accomplice, I think. I, I, if, if spitballing mm. off, off the basis of I have nothing here to, to support my view, I would say that maybe they were going, if they if we're reading it the same way that we were just talking about with the homosexual thing, then maybe we're talking about that man and women both are threatened by homosexuality, you know, or some shit like that. Um, like, the nuclear family, man. Or, yeah, oh, that, exactly. You know, like, man and women have a, have, a, have a shared threat, even if women aren't even aware of it. <laughs> you know, like, and I have to get roped in by the man. It's. I mean, it's that's all, of course, uncool nonsense. <laughs> but uh, I guess if you wanted to read it that way, it's not not there. Uh, but it is a very strange. Not that it's strange to have a female accomplice, but a that she's not like explicitly a like a, a sexual love interest in a very in yeah. a very hetero film, and 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 b that she. She is very, as, she, as as Luke was saying earlier, like really, like she has a lot of agency in the film. She actually does, I mean, she does definitely, as Bam was saying, push the, just exist to push the plot in a lot of ways. But in, in other ways, she does make decisions that actually change how the outcome of the story goes and her character on, on the sense that she's not just doing it for John, but for herself. And it is interesting that they give that amount. I mean, it's not very typical of the of the genre, I guess. You know, <laughs> well, she kind of maybe you guys can help me with this because I, I I could be off base here, but like it kind of reminded me when I was watching it because I had some of the same thoughts and was curious about the decisions there and everything like that. But it kind of reminds me of the girl in Total Recall to go to another uh, mm-hmm. Schwarzenegger movie where, like, in that movie, like. Same kind of like she's like you see him actually in Total Recall. He designs mm-hmm. his dream woman because it's the whole thing. It's like he's it's like what do you know what type of body type and what you know hair color or whatever. Like you see him sort of do the character building video game thing, and he makes that woman that then he you know later meets in the you know the Mars mission right. fantasy thing or whatever. But she's not very sexualized in that, and and it's like this. It's, it's a weird thing at the time in movies where there's a couple examples of this where it is just sort of like you get the macho fantasy male guy and then you you get a much more sort of like realistic down-to-earth version of a woman that is paired with them and i think in total recall she has a similar amount of if not more agency than him because yeah. she actually knows what's yeah. going well, on and he doesn't actually now that i'm thinking about it this is just something that's hitting my head here uh we were already talking about the the action figures and toys right um if we if you want to be super cynical about it right uh like they could potentially go into these films like, well, you got to write a man, like a manly man in this genre because he'll sell an action figure like in Commando. Um, but what if you want to make a, like a Cindy doll, right? Well, she's got to, she's got to be like a, an, a, an agent of her own, right? Because girls like a little bit of agency in the toy market, but she can't be <laughs> like super awesome, cool, right? She's got to have like a normal job and just happen to be in the film. So what if she's like a pilot and we can have a, a spin-off line like Cindy Pilot and her friends from the pilot school and we could sell some plane toys. Yeah. I go I go with that, but I know I just speaking from experience, I like I was specifically frustrated by the action figure markets in a, in unwillingness yeah, of course. to, like, it's, it's to do the female yeah. action figures. Like like you know, going back to the, the Sarah Connor thing, like as like what right. Terminator Two is like, why do I not have a Sarah didn't, Connor didn't figure? The, like, I, I remember didn't Ray, that. like they struggled to make Ray toys for Star Wars. Like, that, yeah, yeah. Sure. look at just yeah. now uh, the Funko Pop line in Jurassic Park doesn't even contain Ellie. What the fuck? Yeah. What? Are you serious? Oh my god! I mean, I, I would love. I mean, I know that everybody. Yeah, the, the whole Ray thing was a huge internet deal. It, it justifiably, she's the fucking lead character of the movie, and then like what the 
but I, I would like to I would like to actually hear you know like the corporate top down like the, the what you know get in the sort of RoboCop boardroom at, at whatever toy <laughs> company and it's like I'd like to hear the you know the old white men explain exactly yeah. what the thinking there is like I you know like if it came down to just like some sort of molding problem they had that they're just like <laughs> oh we just don't we can't do chicks it's hard or something like that but it's like. I don't, you know, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know what the logic there is. I mean, I, I assume it's just basically they've done some sort of market research and they think boys won't. That buy was the excuse. Well, that's, yeah, that's, that's yes. always what they put out there. Always, always the excuse. I had sisters, and 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 her, my sisters, Barbies were always the GI Joes' wives. Like, I, you know, I just incorporated mm-hmm. them, and you know, they used to do that. Why wouldn't you? You know, like. I, I mean, yeah, I, I, look, I know, like, I have sister girlfriends. Uh, when I was like a kid growing up, we all had our action figures and stuff. But the girls played with the boys' toy and went on missions and shit like that as well. So, like, it never made sense to me why there wasn't that outlet for them. Yeah. And it was always sort of recreational house and job shit. And it really just, it just seemed exhausting and that sort of patriarchal fucking shit. But there's two female G.I. Joes when I was a kid, right? There was Lady J <laughs> and the redheaded one there's like the good the girl that's like i think that wasn't her name she was like the girl that wore like green fatigues and had like a short haircut well, you had and then scarlet there was the you had baroness bad... there was jinx that came yeah, along scarlet, later yeah, scarlet, okay. yeah yeah and that's so like yeah you have like yeah. your one girl gi joe which i guess was a, you know not nothing yeah, but she's still, a girl uh... among dudes <laughs> But yeah, that's that's my that's my cynical approach to the to the. To, I mean, it's a totally illogical one. I I I, I think because most yeah. of the writers probably won't have any say on that. But it's my like when it comes to like production and stuff seeping in and going like, hey, you've got a you've got a character here on the side. We're gonna up the role, but we're, we we want to make sure she doesn't get too into the story, you know. So we want you to write a couple more lines like this. We want her to be more in, involved in the story from start to finish. But she could be seen using a gun, but only in one instance, and she has to be embarrassed about it. You know, shit like that. Well, it's kind of... Right. I I like that idea. I think that, you know, as an audience surrogate, Cindy is, in my opinion anyway, I think that she also speaks volumes Mm -hmm. to how women actually perceive this kind of crap when she actually calls it out as macho (laughs) bullshit anyway. But at the end, I was surprisingly self-aware of the line. I thought, and then when she ends up at the end of the movie, I thought it was a kind of fun little line where she's, or a fun, fun little instance where she's like, you know what? Men with all their bullshit fantasy and all that stuff, we'll go along with it, you know, but at the same time, we'll participate just as much as it makes us comfortable. But she'll call it out. You know, you know how, you know, I, I have, I have a wife. Lee has a wife. Uh, Luke, you said you were married as well. And so, I mean, how yeah. much shit do they put up with from us on a daily basis? Not as much as probably <laughs> what Arnold did, you know, in Commando. But at the same time, I figure that my girlfriend, you know, I just, I, I, I spent over, I think it was $800 on Star Wars shit during the course of the summer. And my girlfriend was like, you know what? I love you anyway. Just be careful because the, the kids are going back to school. And I was like, all right, cool. So she just right. went on with my adventures. Right. Everything was fine from that end. I don't know just how far, you know, does, does this speak to women of the generation where they're like, you know what? We don't need you guys to be superheroes. We'll play along with whatever fantasy you are, just so long as you come back safe. It felt kind of like that. Cindy was that character mm-hmm. to me. Yeah, I, I think in the in the pantheon of like you know female allies in the in the sort of B and C tier action movies that you know mm-hmm. like I, I love Commando, but I love it for what it is. And <laughs> yeah. you know, there's, there's there's movies where you do have your like you know I think Total Recall is a more you know a much more well rounded and you know engaging character. But as the sort of generic female sidekick one. I think I think Cindy is one of the better ones in that she isn't like Willie from uh Temple oh, Christ, of Doom. Yeah. You know, where she's just there to sh- to shriek and like uh, be, yeah. you know, she's like in the beginning of the story. 
yeah, like Cindy is comic relief in that she's like, and I wasn't, you know, she's got a little bit of that, like, I wasn't even supposed to be here today kind of a vibe <laughs> to her of like, and I was doing this, and then you take me here, and now they're chasing me. And it's like, funny, and it's like, that's that one scene. And then from that point on, she's kind of yeah. on board. With yeah, she fires the thing backwards, but it's because she's she's us. She's that audience. Yeah. audience I don't think there's even, is there There's not. Is there ever any business with like her taking her shoes off or something? Because that's always like the big thing. Notice like, that, uh, Jurassic, Jurassic World got a big, you know, got a big shit on them for that thing or whatever but like that's well i loved it in the in jurassic world fallen kingdom like like in the when they introduce the character when when she when claire like steps back out they like there's like a a shot of like look at these boots (laughs) like like it's it's definitely it's definitely a retaliatory joke of like she's wearing fucking boots boots. (laughs) (laughs) i mean i mean it makes sense that there's no way to ignore that but i think you know it's like jurassic world was sort of the peak of that Trope yeah. thing, but it's like it's pretty common in in movies. You just because it's also just a bit of business that naturally happens if you you know if a woman's wearing heels and action movies require you to run around. Like I get it, but I don't think they even do that with her. Like she's yeah, she they don't play up any of that stuff. There's a couple of like where he's using her as like a distraction. Like hey, look like you were having yeah. a fun time with yeah. Sully and answer the door. And so there's some stuff that gets sort of like if you were there using her femininity as a as a distraction or as a mm-hmm. you know a decoy or whatever. But but by and large, I thought she was just one of the better ones, and that she wasn't annoying. She was actually funny and yeah. charming. Mm-hmm. It didn't you know turn into a shoehorned like sexual relationship, but it wasn't like you know at the end you sort of get the sense of like oh are yeah. they going to get there's, together? Yeah, like, maybe there's, 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 there's that hug she gives Jenny, where I'm like. Oh well, look at that. Maybe they haven't even met yet. They haven't talked. They haven't said anything. And yet, <laughs> Jenny seems completely fine with meeting Cindy. Like who's like, maybe Dad. Is I like, love you, pilot. <laughs> pretty much what it is. Yeah. Thank you, pilot. That's oh, a good one. Well, actually, wait. That is there is one. That is one thing I did notice that that goes against the positivity we've been expressing. Sure. Which is, I, I found it kind of slightly annoying in a in a in a way that is worthwhile in a modern context point is that like she's presented as the pilot but when she's flying the plane it's like you know and it's it's funny that it's like a plane she doesn't know how to fly and something like that yeah. but the, he does kind of like do it for her mm-hmm. in a very dumb man way like you know she can't turn the thing on and he just hit it, it. Like, it works every time yeah this thing they will make it and he yanks the throttle yeah. and stuff like that it's kind of yeah. like it's like his he still has like the dumb male like just you know, bumbles his way through Just everything. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and, and it's like that, like, no, she's supposed to be, that's the whole reason she's here. Mm-hmm. Like it kind of like, if, if we were writing it, Luke, that certainly would not have been the thing. It would have been like, he gets in there and tries it and she's like, get the fuck out of my way. And then she would do it. And do it right. You know, like, that's what you would do. Cause that's why the character's there. And it, that, that was the one yeah, thing. Don't that, like, take away like, their, their role. You yeah. Know? Don't give it back to Arnold. Yeah. But I guess in the, in the power fantasy of it all, it has to go to Arnold. You know, it's it's not a positive idea, you know, it, it, but it is one that plays right into the hands of what they're trying to get at, which is man do all well, even better than woman can when it's her fucking job. Well, sure. it, I think what they were going for was like the Indiana Jones, right. you know, pulling the gun in the sword mm-hmm, fight mm-hmm. thing. I think they're they're trying to make him look cool. That like, yes, she knows what she's doing, but he's just oh, yeah, fucking, yeah. you know, who cares? Jam just the make him a nag, like, you know, he's just a fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah. All right. Last thing I want to move on to is just plain observations with the film, and then we're going to close this out. Uh, I wanted to get your feedback on the opening scene. Okay. Because I was trying to put this one together in my mind, and it's one of the funniest moments for me. I watched it three or four times. Yeah. I mean, that's the weirdest reason for Lawson to get out of bed is to be stressed out about his fucking garbage. Yeah. How did they know? (laughs) How did they know he was going to come out? 
Like, exactly. Well, that's like, the thing. If I would love to kill somebody. Like, well, if we drive up as the garbage truck, he's gonna know it's not garbage day. But he, so he's head his garbage truck. <laughs> so his wife's gonna be like, "Hey, it's the garbage truck," and he's gonna race out there and get it and be the only one on the street. It's like, well, <laughs> and that's the funny thing. I, I want like, Tarantino I, to write that that opening. I want that the well, contract well, killers well, meeting well, where they discuss the garbage truck well, as a yeah, viable yeah, option yeah, to yeah. kill this guy. <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, how many times do you have to like go through the plan? Okay, if we go at nine thirty, there's no way he's not going to hear the truck. We have to go to a time where he's slightly getting awake. He knows the garbage right. truck. You know what was the structure? Right. Find this out. Why well, the garbage what, truck? I couldn't it, believe what it should have been. I mean, in what in in, in what I can say because I've done it before is what it should have been is uh, street sweeping day it should have been because like I, I don't know what it, it's like where you guys live but like i live you know in central los angeles and like you know there's it's wednesdays and fridays the two sides of the street outside my apartment and if you park in between 10 a.m and noon the street sweeping comes and if you leave your car on the wrong side that's a good one yeah i like that it, it, and you can hear them because it's like you know it's those like those trucks like looks like a you know thing at a hockey game or whatever like it makes a loud sound and so like i've definitely woken up at like you know nine fifty. And then like, oh <laughs> shit, I left my car on the wrong side. And you run out there because you don't want to get a $50 ticket because there's a little truck that comes after the street, street sweeper that gives you a ticket if you're still on that side of the thing. And so like, I mean, it's even, I don't know where that scene is set, but like, you know, the rest of the movie's set in LA, ostensibly, although they don't really talk about it. But like, yeah, like that would be the thing that like, yeah, if they were just in the street sweeping truck or if they were just in a truck outside waiting for but him. they or still would have had to have controlled him and make him when, park have, on the wrong side of the street. Like, I just, their, their, their plan relies on so much of predicting exactly <laughs> what he's going to do and when. I mean, it I works as a nice apart. metaphor. You know, it's the idea of them taking out the trash, but they're the bad guys. How are we supposed to think right, right. this part of, you know, John Mayer? It, it scared me. It scared me as a kid just because it was this mundane thing of like, oh, the garbage man. And then they shot the guy. It was like, oh, that was yeah. a little uh, upsetting, in, you know, in, which is what they're going for. Of like, yeah. well, it seems yeah. like a normal interaction that becomes suddenly So insane. your mom asks but, you but, to take but, out but, the garbage and you're like, it's no, like um, not today, a, a, Assault in Precinct 13 where the ice cream man kills the kid. You know, it's exactly like that. Oh, what? Yeah, what? That's so mundane. You oh, can't shoot a kid. That one's really fucked up. And that that's yeah, totally effective and doesn't you don't ask those sort of questions. I mean they didn't need to shoot the kid, they just yeah, did yeah, yeah, crazy yeah. criminals or whatever. But like I mean the but I will say that the garbage truck thing is a lot more plausible than the Cadillac dealership scene that follows <laughs> because I just was watching the Yeah. But I, love, I love that one. He doesn't even take great pains to make sure the guy's yeah, dead. Yeah. It doesn't like, seem in the collision the like he actually killed him. It just seemed like uh, it, no, it kind of it seemed no. stunt manny, but it he didn't seem like it. he seemed like he rolled away safely. And then we got a, a shot no, of him, I and he's like alive. bleeding from the face. And you're like, wow, that was real class. The sort of thought there or something was like. Oh, I guess going through glass cuts. It's like I don't know what Bill Duke was like. This was the you know what the master <laughs> plan was. It's like oh, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna hit him. But even that, I don't hitting somebody with like 15 feet of like how fast yeah, can exactly, you be going? Yeah. You know, like it's it, it doesn't that, that's not a deadly. He was I mean, a green beret, Ben. <laughs> he knows exactly how to yeah. kill somebody with whatever. Well, that's not some Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, later on, honestly, later later on. Later on, when they when Arnold crashes her car and she's in in the side the seat without, with no seatbelt because there's no seat. Yeah, yeah it did like oh, well, that's that, right. That, yeah, that's insane. Are you okay? Like, no. Forty miles an hour. That is much more likely to kill her. And I can and I can say that because in a in a in a project I did just after film school, we did actually crash a car 
and a friend of mine was driving it and he was driving i think he got up to 30 miles an hour and crashed into a tree and we just like put him like football pads on him and put a bunch of like pillows and shit in between him and the steering wheel and he's still like yeah it was like and he had a seatbelt it's like yeah so like the hitting the guy in the cadillac dealership not a deadly blow crashing into a telephone pole with her without a seatbelt i I thought that was excessive i was like okay there we go confirmation that this is a superhero film because they didn't feel anything there and that's insane Uh, yeah. Funny thing about Valverde, it doesn't exist. You guys knew that, yes? It's uh, D'Souza actually puts that in his scripts. So it's in Die Hard 2 and it's also in Predator, apparently. Valverde. What? Really? Oh, Great. cool. Well, shared, shared universe. Yeah. yeah. And uh, last thing, Lee and I wanted to talk about the one liners and what happened with that. We wanted to talk with two screen, three screenwriters. Lee's a screenwriter as well. I'm not. <laughs> I suck at writing. I'm trying to, but I'm not trying to suck, but I'm trying to write. But uh, I wanted to get your opinion on one-liners. Where has it gone? Do they still, are they still relevant today? And how do you write a good one-liner? Yeah. Especially for those movies. People don't like them anymore. I mean, Arnold again, like was, it was, I, according to the little excerpts that I read from his autobiography, like they, they the Arnold was pushing for yeah, that right. and requesting that they add these things. Like and that sort of became his trademark and his brand, and so it was definitely him that was making that happen. I don't think he's writing them himself, but definitely mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. making sure that that became part of it. Um, and that comes from Bond, I would assume, right? Is that yep. is that like Absolutely. yeah cinematic history thing or whatever like it's it, it's it seems like that's that's the origin of it and you guys referenced that already that he's kind of that kind of thing and I, it seems to me like there was sort of or i noticed at least you know i don't know it was seven or eight years ago or something like that that there was kind of a movement towards taking action movies and it kind of goes hand in hand with the with the sort of cultural reassessment of die hard as being like kind of a you know masterpiece of a film and not just a dumb action movie you know and i, I think that, i don't know if it, i don't know when that switchover happened but you know it's very common it's like you, you can listen to interviews with barry jenkins and he talks about john mctiernan being like one of his favorite filmmakers mm-hmm. and die hard being a masterpiece and i think all that stuff's true but i think that there was a thing that you sort of saw where like and i'm trying to remember all the examples of it but like when jim jarmusch did like limits of control and like, you know, those kind of things where you're like, okay, you can sort of do what is a traditional action movie, but if you just take out that type of stuff, it turns into an art film really mm. quickly, you know? And it's kind of right, like, okay, I, okay. I, I, yeah, I guess. And uh, it kind of, yeah, it comes to like where popular movies came in on that. It's probably somewhere along just past the Ocean's Eleven trend to somewhere like Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. Batman games where the one-liners were really were, were kind of limited, limited even in a big blockbuster thing to to attain some sort of type of realism. But I mean, I guess in Batman Begins they're still there, and oh, then he yeah. loses them over time. But um, well, everybody gives Dark Knight Rises so much shit. Like, there's definitely the scene in Dark Knight Rises when and. I, I got a laugh from me. I get. I guess it kind of breaks the universe. But like when Catwoman ditches him or whatever on the on the rooftop, and he goes, "So that so that's yeah. what that feels like." Uh, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I don't know. I I, I like that yeah. stuff, and I guess I mean what we're seeing very recently is is uh, current Bond is reassessing his relationship to one liners. I mean, Casino Royale is a good example because there's maybe mm-hmm. one throwaway line that you know the like do i look like a man who gives a shit about his about his drink being stirred line and that's kind of like a like Uh a one-liner or a response to one-liners from james bond but he doesn't have a lot of like uh maybe a couple of lines and when he comes back to the the casino table he's like uh yeah no i had a 
but he says something. I had a fucking shock or I had a bad drink or something like that, you know, and then nothing else. Right. And, uh, and it kind of disappeared from Bond and he's kind of the originator of it. But the modern Bond, if anything's a sign of the times, his, his foregoing of the one-liners until his sort of recapturing later on with sort of Skyfall, him coming back into proper Bond and Spectre, his being a recapturing of the old days with a modern twist. You know, we're seeing the one-liners coming mm-hmm. back. You're, you're probably saying Bond dance around the times a lot and, and acknowledge that the, the one-liner is a little out. But I, I just wonder why it changed mm-hmm. for audiences because they are still satisfying to hear, you know? Well- <laughs> Well, I think they got ahead of them. Like, so they had, and we'll probably see them again, but it's sort of like, well, these were a thing and like, they were funny. And then everybody's like, oh, this is a thing that they do. And the audience just sort of caught on. So then doing them felt so perfunctory. I think we are are missing though, just for the the discussion, I don't want to get a hand, but like that, that there are still, and I don't know if you'd call them the same thing or not, but I mean, Downey in the Marvel movies is, he's he's still a bit quippy doing that. And I think that, yeah. Part, part of it is that is that, but they have to be yeah they have to be leveled up like it can't just be a pun it has to be it has no. a reverence to it it has more like so yeah it's the same thing but because we're so aware of it to get it to catch us unawares it has to be this sort of yeah crazy sort of downy thing or you know like and that's uh, and I think that's just the evolution through. of of the thing that like at a certain point it's like da- downy as an actor who you know like. I don't know if you would have thought that he was going to end up being like the biggest movie star specifically for superhero movies. You know, if you'd seen him in like Chaplin or whatever the fuck (laughs) he won the Oscar for, it's like, you know, it's like, Oh, one day that guy is going to be the perfect movie star Uh for the modern era when he's like 50 or something like that. And it's like, okay, like I kind of think that you just can't compete with it. And so I'm not saying that like, I think it just all happened naturally, but it's kind of like, well, what's the point in doing one liners? Because it's it's at the point where screenwriters can't even write down these lines. Like, I mean, a lot of the best shit, it's like, it's well known at this point, a lot of the best shit that he does in those movies is just him. And it's kind of like, okay, well, that just, we got to the point where we have this guy doing this stuff better than anybody. And now when you hear Vin Diesel do one in a movie, it's, it's totally lame. <laughs> like, it's just like, you can't, because Vin Diesel is very much still like the, the, the current incarnation or the attempted or the whatever of the Schwarzenegger style 80s action hero and he's yeah, very, sure. i think he's very self-aware in doing that but it's like you know i don't know i mean mm-hmm. i don't watch the fast and furious movies like does he have any really good zingers like is that like a thing he certainly not particularly no i mean he no, has he has man. a couple he has a couple of lines but but they're usually just sort of retorts of the themes like this is for family well because like, <laughs> like I, I saw riddick and like he yeah. definitely is trying real hard to do the badass schwarzenegger stuff in riddick or whatever and just like like lines that seem so mm-hmm. added to make him sound extra tough or extra macho and, and stuff like that <laughs> and it, it all fall, it's all really awkward and falls flat for me and that's just kind of like I think that that's yeah. Yeah, I guess not to say that it comes off as ridiculous. There you go. How about that for a pun? <laughs> wow. But it's almost, I mean, it I guess, depends I, on, on how I, clever the wordplay is. I mean, I think in Commando, like you know, please don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. Is like uh, that. That's bad. Yeah. Like that's not good. But what happened to Sully? I let him go. To me, it's still like that's one of the best yeah, ones. That one's like, that, that, yeah. like that's really one for the ages. We've got, we've got completely opposite taste. Oh really? <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> 
just because because I let him go and her accepting that sounds like <laughs> oh yeah it is like, very I, um, I did let him go like normal. like that's something that she yeah, could like, that she is... see him hanging it out like that sounds like normal conversation but it's like yeah he's please don't disturb my friend he's dead tired he's like you're offering me a lot of information <laughs> just to make it yeah. work I'm just here as this as the stewardess like I really don't care yeah but, like yeah. as an answer it works both ways as an actual pun of like well yeah, I let yeah, him right. go okay cool he's it says it just yeah. I found that line, Lee, the the one that you were mentioning about James Bond. He says, "I'm sorry that last hand nearly killed." That's me. the one. There we go. Thank you. Yeah, that's from Casino okay. Royale. Okay. Um, yeah. I guess um, where society really steered away is probably thanks to Schwarzenegger is that he became a parody of himself. Um, like I don't know, Commando has about six one-liners in it, and then you get to like Batman and Robin, and it's every line oh, yeah. everything oh, is good. terrible and and, and uh, it's not just the recurring ones that he's brought from other films or the ones that he's toned down for kids it's like the the full-on ice puns has just crossed a line that i yeah. guess and that's, and that's after the simpsons had already done it like that's the crazy yeah, thing is exactly. that the yeah, Rainier the McBain films yeah, which is totally. I think the McBain movies are command. I mean, because I was watching it, I was like, "Oh, this is like the movie that they're speaking. Yeah, like uh-huh. that is what all of those are is just different iterations on this, and a couple other ones too, like Raw Deal probably as well or whatever. But like, you know, but the fact that yeah, that like by the time they did Batman and Robin, that was like a well a well known mm-hmm. thing, and they even did an ice one. Doesn't he say ice to see you in Dunta Simpsons? Like, cause he's yeah, in absolutely in the Simpsons. One. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I guess then we have a we have our our solid answer to that question. Uh, one liners died for a reason. They might come back to write good ones. You gotta, as as Luke would put it, you just gotta have it work in both ways. That it's a, a joke and and as a yes. as a solid, a believable statement. Which is what the Bond stuff does. I, I think because yeah. I want them in my Bond, and I I miss. Th- them and but they just have to it has yeah, to make has you to be not cringe to your death oh, oh, every wait. time you hear one <laughs> well you know it, it, and it's got to be delivered correctly like you just compare like some of the dialogue and you know die another day when it's like you know jinx you know Halle Berry's like oh I think I got the thrust of it it's like well you don't need to like you don't need to emphasize it like you you, you just kind of say it and then it's going to be cool but if you like you know ham it up um and then because then there's other stuff that's not necessarily dialogue driven but like like inspector i i love the fact that he like falls out of the collapsing building and then like lands on the couch and it's just like oh fuck i didn't mean to land on the couch but cool like it's yeah. it's, uh-huh. you know, it's sort of the visual equivalent of a pun that just sort of does the same sort of duty of just like a little bit of a wink and a levity but it's sort of subtly done but, yeah 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 mm-hmm. you're right so it allows it allows a little cushioning blow for the audience without totally distorting the world that we're supposed to be believing yeah because it's right. reasonable sound right. like it was it's i don't i don't have a term for it luke we talked about it before though but like lines in movies that that are like it's like you need another line to set it up or something like it's like like things where they just it feels unnatural like they they started at one yeah, of the right. line and then they or engineered it to get to that point sure. and it's, this is a weird off-base thing but i i rewatched true detective season one and then HBO Go just kept playing into season two, and now I'm one episode away from finishing True Detective season two for some reason, mm, right. uh, and, 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 which I've already watched before. This is me rewatching it for the first time. But it's like you could really just look at the compare compare season one to season two, and just how fucking brilliant all the McConaughey Harrelson dialogue is, and that all of it feels natural, even if it's like so fake. Like, like the <laughs> McConaughey character, 
is like he's speaking like like he wrote this shit that morning and then showed up <laughs> to work with waiting to say it all day. <laughs> but it's but it's great and you don't ever question it because they really, really harnesses it in the character and their reactions are natural to each other and and Woody will like undercut him with the like man that's a bunch of bullshit or like what the fuck are you talking about and like it just kind of feels real and it doesn't feel like it's faked whereas when you watch season two it's like every dark line that like Colin Farrell says, it's like somebody needed to say exactly the right thing to set him up uh, for that. Yeah, 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 and it yeah. just feels false. And it I think that that's like one-liners in the thing. <laughs> yeah. And, that, and I think that one-liners, it's like, yeah, you want it to like, like Luke was saying about the, the airplane thing versus the, the let him go thing. It's like, yeah, it needs to be, it's just, it's clever. It has to be clever. It can't just be because you thought that was cool. Now, how do we get to that? Yeah, line? Yeah, yeah. You know, that makes sense. That's, that's frustrating. Great. So commando final thoughts on commando. I think that I would go down there unless Lee had something else to kick off or no, no, pass it around. Okay. Right, my, cool. my, so, final thoughts, my final thoughts is I want to shout out Bill Paxton yeah. as being the, yeah, uh, man. <laughs> is he like the coast guard? Like he's got his like two little shots there, but uh, uh, it does it well. Love Bill Paxton. Just happy to see him. And then, <laughs> My other question was just like, what is in the sandwich at the beginning of the movie? Yeah, because he, oh, yeah. He, he bites into it and we says, "What's in this?" Little. And she says, "She says you don't want to know." And it's like, "Well, what? <laughs> what the fuck did you put in there? Why doesn't he want to know?" And you're eating it too. It's just like what it's, a strange it's line. Deer. It's the deer. Yeah, it's the she deer. went out there. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna take a guess and say it's a it's a can of cat food. That's my guess. But why would she? Yeah, I don't know. It did, I get it. Anyway, that's another one. Like a joke that's like, well, that's funny, I guess. But if you try and <laughs> put that in reality, like, well, what? Why would she? Why on earth would she say that? And what would she have put in there that she didn't want him to know was, uh-huh. was in there? But anyway, those are my those are my two takeaways. Oh well, then this gives us a whole other plane on which we can interpret Commando. Maybe she put drugs in there, and this is all a fantasy <laughs> that happened to his head. Yeah, yeah. She's actually working for Bennett. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. daughter. He wakes up yeah. at the end, you know. Eventually, team wakes up. That's it. That's all it is. That's what's in the sandwich, man. She there just wanted go. to go away. It's, it is. It is no mistake that uh, Matrix's wife died in childbirth. I think it was a plan from Jenny from the get go. Straight out of the womb, she's taken his <laughs> the love of his life out and just plotting her chance to take him out. Too. <laughs> yeah. Nice go. and grounded. That's what you want in Commander. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, that's it. That's my that's my Reddit fan theory on yeah, what's that's going on. That's all. I'm perfect. Write it up. That's what we need. Uh, that's what the show is predicated on as well. It's just this terrible, terrible insights. Yeah, we're, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're a weird version of Reddit. <laughs> How about you, Ben? Final thoughts? Uh, I, well, it's something that didn't come up that, that I was. I just went back over the notes I took while I was watching the movie, and one. The, so my final thought, my note that that was one of the early notes I, I wrote down was that. I really like that he just anyone who could possibly offer answers of any kind, he just kills before they can do it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> repeatedly. It's like, you know, he's, he like tries like once with everyone. He's like, tell me what's going on or like whatever. And they're just like, no, and, he just kills them. and it's just like, it's like, I mean, which is kind of refreshing because the last thing we want to see in movies is like more like torture scenes. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, you know, you're, yeah. you're going to talk and all that. Stuff. But it's just like, he makes zero effort. It's yeah, just yeah. as soon as somebody, you know, it's just like, oh, on to the next one. And then he just kills everybody. So that's, yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. Tell, and me, I where, funny. tell me where they are, Sully. No. Yeah. Uh, fuck you. I actually <laughs> already know. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's, he doesn't need them. It's yeah. just the plot is. <laughs> like, give me plot. Yeah. No. Okay. You're dead. That's the, plot. that's the beauty of Commando. It is. It's very much audience go. 
give me plot. And Commando laughs, sneers, and goes, no. <laughs> the Commando does not need your fucking plot. Exactly. In fact, he's gonna... Like a bulldozer yeah. through the yeah. window of an army surplus <laughs> store. Which always had. Surely there is... <laughs> There was a door in the back they could have just opened. But yeah, yeah, it's like, gotta... again, set up as the stealthiest man alive, and he can't pick a fucking lock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, I guess I, I don't really have much to, to really add to Commando. I absolutely love the film. Um, I, you know, it, it's it's got like a cult status, and it's weird to me that it does, because I, it, it seems like so much in the, in the proper canon of where action films of the 80s were. Like, um, I mean, Schwarzenegger is a canon onto himself, <laughs> so I mean, you kind of... You just have to accept that everything he did at a certain point, whether it's good or bad, is important. <laughs> um, uh, and Commando is definitely a great example of where we get a lot of playful ideas of where action went. I mean, the immediate follow-up being Die Hard is, is, is hilarious because it does take that same approach to how action is framed and that it is more action over plot. But it does. Die Hard takes the extra step to incorporate character into it. You know? And it's not... So it, it almost yeah. makes... Mm-hmm commando feel like and consequence well it's not i would say inconsequential as much as no, i would no, say like a prototype like it, it, it oh, adds, adds consequence, consequence to the action yeah. the character has consequence if he gets injured and the injuries matter and they affect his yeah, ability to perform totally right and, it adds total yeah. consequence to the to yeah exactly to that exact same story but it makes commando into what is very likely a great prototype of that it and predator who both kind of Ooh. compete at the same time predator takes that sort of single location idea where we, we kind of have to live with the threat we're given whereas commando is this far more sprawling adventure but it gets the beats of action more precise you know it's like you have to be here and then you got to knock here and then you got to build back up there it all like the flow of it is far more like die hard and when you merge the two you kind of get a die hard like shape you know so i it's funny to me commando is is important because it lets us if if, if we're to believe that die hard is one of the most important or uh, you know hailed films of its time uh then then we have to look at sort of where it's 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 forebearers came from and i guess commando is pretty much the most direct in line to it in my head so um and that's not why we decided to talk about it we decided to talk about it because it's fucking awesome but that's (laughs) neither here nor there and that's that's my thoughts (laughs) yeah i'm down with that I don't know. I was just looking up the definitions of subversion and comparing it to the definition of commando. And I think that everything we talked about today with regards to (laughs) straight men, homosexuality, uh, you know, the role of femininity and all this as well. You know, if you look at subversion, it says a systematic attempt to overthrow or undermine a government or political system by persons working secretly from within. That's subversion. And you got commando, you know, a military unit trained to and organize the shock troops, especially in hit and run raids into enemy territory. You have those two things playing Willfully there. So Commando in and of itself as a name for a film, I think is great if you want to hide in these little messages that we were talking about. <laughs> so it was really, really a fun movie to, you know, go back and 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 kind of watch. Uh, I wanted to get the kids to watch it, but then they, they, I don't know, they're into bones right now and I can't watch that because there's too many maggots on corpses. So I figured, you know what, I'm going to sit down yeah, and watch it. Commando. And uh, just having you guys on to talk about it, you know, I wanted to bring some sort of levity too and i didn't want to bring in some like really hardcore film i just wanted to sit down and have fun because we'd been talking about doing this for a year and i figured you know what commando sounds like a good time to hang out with a you know a couple of guys and just you know uh, wax whatever on 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 a film that we grew up with so our chest yeah yeah our chest yeah exactly. so we could just wax our chest like arnold yeah. <laughs> 
But I don't know. My favorite line in the film is, uh, you're a funny guy, Sully. I like you. That's why I'm going to kill you last. And then <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that's always the yeah. one. I changed my <laughs> Pretty good. It's really, really great. So yeah, I don't know. This is a fun movie. I'm going to probably rewatch it sometime soon. But it gave me, it made me want to go back and revisit other Schwarzenegger films to see if I could pick up on the same themes totally. of the time. You know, So it's going to be a fun one. And I might re- want to revisit Cobra. I haven't seen that in a long time with Cobra's Stallone. Right? So that'd be oh, cool. So good. Cobra is... Um, Got our, we've got ourselves some setups then because we have then we can yeah we've got Teen Wolf Cobra we've got Cobra. episode we've got Teen Wolf yeah. duology back for these ones as well That'd be great. we don't usually yeah. have to have to deal it's with done. so many fucking dem- <laughs> like ideas for the next meet but that's great <laughs> well we're yeah we'd be glad to talk more cool hey. that's also a relief <laughs> uh, anything you guys want to plug before heading out you know your twitter handles if you want people to leave you alone you're working on something that you want us to kind of point out or encourage or direct people in a way to you know keep their eyes peeled for what you guys have coming out mm-hmm. uh it depends i mean there's nothing there's there's maybe going to be an announcement publicly about a project soon but i don't want to okay beat that to the punch in case it doesn't happen sure. but i don't know when you guys are going to post this but it could happen quite soon but uh i guess you know on twitter what am I on Twitter? I, I'm at B Davis Collins on Twitter. I'm active on there. Say hi if you want. Um, we're all, we're working on a lot of stuff, but most of it is somewhat secretive. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. Which so, is yeah, why we follow. kept the question for last. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's just fair. It's fair, but yeah, I, I, I hope to have some things, uh, you know, that to, to be excited about soon, and that people will be excited all, about when they all the more reason them. to follow, and then therefore get all the news as soon as it comes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then I'm I'm on Twitter as well. I'd le- slightly less active, but I'm there. It's I'm at at Luke underscore Piotrowski. And that's P I O T R O W S K I. And then you know, Super Dark Times is out in various places. It's on Netflix. Um, we had, had another movie called Siren that is uh, out. I don't think it's on Netflix, but you have to to pay for it. But that's that's a fun one that has some some penetration in it. As well, <laughs> and deals with some issues of masculinity and uh you know femininity and stuff and so you know if you're interested in the themes of you know blurring the lines between you know what 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 are the heroic roles that men are supposed to play you know how that can become twisted uh that's definitely worth taking a look at and uh yeah just working on a bunch of other stuff that hopefully we can actually talk about very cool i didn't think we had nailed as hard the fact that you guys had already been so exposed to the themes we were going to bring up today so i mean we really just caught a fucking lucky break there (laughs) like oh yeah our film's devil on this shit already and you're like oh well that's lucky (laughs) for sure yeah, yeah. we thought a lot about uh, failed masculinity. That's, uh, that's, <laughs> uh, that's all good. Okay, uh, I guess from my perspective then, uh, other than... I, I, also, I'll, I'll give a shout out to, to Ben's um, abstract art on Instagram. Yeah, man, that's good stuff. Which oh, is excellent. You. And uh, and absolutely worth following him there. I don't know the mantle. I see them on I I, I see them on Twitter. I, I didn't know Ben was on was on yeah, uh, Instagram. I'll go follow him right now. Oh yeah, I post I post one every day on Instagram, and I, I just occasionally post them on Twitter just for fun. But yeah, no, it's just a, that was a, a hobby that I started doing last November. I got an iPad Pro for the purposes of making notes on scripts, and then was like, I could, I could do something else with this, and just started doing these paintings. And I, uh, not that this matters, but I, I I think I counted. I think I posted like 700 or something to. Yeah, I, I think I read that lately, 780 or something. Yeah, the so I, I the goal if I can do it is to get 
to a thousand by November for the year anniversary of it. So not that that's, oh, that's but it awesome. would be cool to have done a thousand paintings in a year. So yeah, we'll see. Well, we'll see. It, it, it just makes it makes me smile and laugh because you know I've got basically nothing but family through Instagram that I follow, and 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 amongst that a couple of guys and girls from, from the Twitter community, and then just occasionally like trippy fucking <laughs> computer art, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's great. I, I that, this this describes how I feel as a person. I'm like committed to family and then just utter bullshit <laughs> and it's beautiful oh, and I, I thank you Ben for introducing that to my, my feed <laughs> thank you for paying attention <laughs> uh, yeah but as for me I'm just running the, the Twitter for the show at the moment so that's at Atlantic SC I'm not super on Twitter these days but if you follow the account and send a message to it I can absolutely respond to that uh, and uh, that's pretty much it other than my own stuff which is really super public so yeah Jason. That's it for me. You can follow me on Twitter, wherever the hell I am, and uh, on Instagram, wherever the hell I am, too. So that's it. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so that's it for us. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you again, uh, Ben and Luke. This is a long time coming, and man, this is a really fun yeah. afternoon. For me, anyway. Yes, thanks, Yeah. See you later. Take care. Later. Bye. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye.